You're listening to The Scrimmage with Daniel Hargrove and Justin Domashevitz. Yeah, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whenever you listen to this, good morning, afternoon, evening, and night. <laughs> You're listening to the Scrimmage Podcast. We are so happy to get you started on your week. Hopefully it'll be a nice, good work week for you. Or maybe you're retired and every day's a weekend. That's great, too. Hi, Dad. <laughs> Sorry. No Daniel Hargrove. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Hold up. <laughs> got to hurry, got to hurry. Got... Sorry. We are, uh, we, Daniel leaves for one week. <laughs> out of control. And it's just a zoo in here. Sorry, no Daniel Hargrove this week. I am Justin Domashevitz. We still have our trusty producer, Andrew Gross. And today we have a special co-host in the studio with us, Sean O'Neill. Sean, say hi to your adoring public. Hello to my adoring public. Sean's going to help us. <laughs> Whatever that might be. Sean's going to help us work through some baseball topics. But before we get into that, let's get it going with the two-minute drill. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Hello. Gotta hurry, gotta hurry, gotta hurry. Hey, two-minute situation. 44 seconds. Hand the ball to the ref. Gun do right, gun do right. Three jet Buckeye. Don't worry. Three. The two-minute drill starts now. Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson was named league MVP by Pro Football Focus. Andrew, why did they do that, and does it matter? Uh, well, they did it because he had a WAR of four, which honestly seems a little bit low to me, but... War? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Wins above replacement. What is it good for? <laughs> nothing. Okay. <laughs> it means nothing at all. We all know... Tell that everyone, how I ran. Everyone with a... Br- <laughs> Everyone with a brain knows that Russell Wilson was the most valuable to his team. The the MVP, the league MVP, is not awarded to the most valuable to their team player. It doesn't matter. Sorry, I'm supposed to read something now. Former New York Giants quarterback Eli Manning announced his retirement from football last week. Justin, will and should Eli make it into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? I do believe that he will because two... Uh, two Super Bowl victories and two Super Bowl MVPs is basically a lock to get you into the hall. I also think he should, because not only did he do that, let's not pretend he wasn't relevant in those playoff runs. He had a 15-2 touchdown-to-interception ratio during the playoffs in the years that they won the Super Bowl, and he took down perhaps the greatest team of all time, the undefeated New England Patriots, until they ran into Eli Manning and the Giants in the Super Bowl. I think he will make it, and I think he deserves to be there. New York Yankee great Derek Jeter was robbed of being the second player in MLB history (laughs) to be inducted into the Hall of Fame with a 100% vote. He came up just one vote short. Sean, why would anyone do this to the greatest player and man in the history of all humankind? I don't know, but it's preposterous. (laughs) No, trying to channel Stephen A. Smith there, but... uh, um, you know, I don't really have too much sympathy for Derek Jeter on this, just because ever since uh, Ken Griffey Jr. didn't make it in unanimously, 
I don't think that there's a bar for anyone to make it in unanimously. And uh, uh, Derek Jeter, let's be honest, was not even the greatest shortstop or the second greatest shortstop of his generation. Preach. And so I, he's absolutely a Hall of Famer. He's absolutely a quality guy. But uh, just because he's a New York Yankee does not guarantee you the right to be uh, unanimously uh, elected to the Hall of Fame. All right, we are a few minutes into the show, and we've only had a couple of goof ups. Apparently, we really need Daniel to steer the ship here. <laughs> we'll just uh, we'll just truck along and try to get through the show the best we can. In the meantime, uh, Sean, you know yeah. the main reason I asked you to join us on the show today is to relive some old memories of yeah. Church League softball. Good times. And if you Good go times. back... The glory days for it, Sean O'Neill. Exactly. Well, it's not often that we get a Triple Crown winner in the studio <laughs> here with us. There's Miguel Cabrera. There's Sean O'Neill. Yeah. Well, yeah. did you put yourself above him or below him? I think your the hand... The world may never know. You, okay. Well, <laughs> if I go back to this time, too, um, and since we're talking about your Triple Crown, I'm going to brag about my own skills as well. I would have been about maybe 19 or 20 years old at this time, so this was before my body started to fall apart. But there was a point <laughs> in Church League where I got so bored hitting all those home runs le- right-handed, I decided to bat left-handed. Yeah. And I started hitting home runs left-handed. And I would like to point out they weren't the kind of home runs that go over the fence. They were the kind of home runs that go to an outfielder, and the outfielder misses it, and you just have to be fast enough to run around the bases. Yeah, that that does uh, tend to comprise the majority of Church League softball home runs, but uh, I am still not uh, cutting those short because, you know, I had 14 of them that year, I think I remember. I don't know. The number probably started at about nine in real, uh, in real life, but I think it's probably... Probably gotten to about 14 here, and uh, yeah, th- th- those were incredibly fun times, though. I, I look back at those days, and probably when uh, we all first started getting to know each other, and yep. uh, man, those were fun days. And uh, um, yeah, the, the Triple Crown that year, I've never in my life experienced uh, athletic prowess like I did when uh, we played church league softball towards the end I started falling apart but uh, um, yeah that the, the prime years of my career were were uh, something to behold well I felt like you uh, you got to a point as a hitter where you could see the laces on the ball as it was coming towards it you. probably helps that it was coming about two miles an hour yeah that did help <laughs> that does help that definitely helped but yeah. that was back in the heyday right of church league softball right. i don't know how many people remember this because church league softball has disintegrated to the point where yeah. there's only like five or six teams right total and there's like we used 30. to have we used to have three teams just right. at our church right and there was more than one church that had multiple teams right there was probably like 20 or 30 teams in yeah. church league at, at different points during that time. Right. And, uh, you know, I think you and I played on the B team for a while, and we had to work our way up, and uh, we did end up on the A team. I, I don't recall ever playing on the B team. Well, but, uh, you <laughs> played on the B team. When the, the Triple Crown was a B team. No, no, no. The was that after we that jumped was, up to that A? That was A team. That was uh, in the heyday okay. when uh, it was actually the year after Chase Napier moved to the uh, – uh, 
whatever the CCM team. Oh, and uh, okay. and then we yeah. elevated uh, in prowess, and we just destroyed people that year. Yeah, and C- CCM did have a way of pirating some of our best players. Yes, they including did. myself at one point. Yeah, I, I I never went to the dark side. I just yeah. want to make that very clear. To be uh, fair, we started out with us and our dad's plane and it took a long time for us to get good enough to pirate other players uh, what i do remember was the elma i can't even remember remember the name of the church but it was like elma missionary alliance or something and i'm pretty sure they they had some illegal recruiting they paid elma baseball players to come out and play we still beat them but uh um yeah I, I, they they had for a very small church out in Elma, they sure had a, a, a outlandish number yeah. of of uh, Elma High School varsity baseball players on that team. <laughs> well, and for a while, our bitterest rival was Malone. Malone, yes. And there was actually one game where I don't I don't even know how many of these guys that played on that team actually went to the church because I think there was like twelve people that went to the church and they had just basically a beer league softball team mm-hmm. playing in their church league, but they made one of our girls cry. And oh. I went over to their dugout and started screaming at them. <laughs> and the umpire said, go back to your dugout or you're out of here. And I didn't listen right away, but I almost got myself ejected from a church league softball game because I was... That was, would have been a notch on the old belt. I feel like of all of my accomplishments, <laughs> that would have been one of the most embarrassing. So, Justin, I, I'm curious about whether if you, you feel similarly to the Triple Crown as you feel to a Trip Dub. No, a Trip Dub is a fake stat. A triple double is a fake stat. Right. Okay. Yeah. And the a triple, triple crown, crown is... is a legitimate accomplishment. It is. Even okay. if it's in church league softball. Okay. It is. It's it's a and you know what? It was a triple crown on a really good team. Okay. So okay. I I mean, it just seems to me like yeah. a trip dub is the triple crown of basketball. You're, that's blasphemy. <laughs> How dare you? I'm not very good at basketball, so maybe maybe I'm just wrong. That is yeah. blasphemous. <laughs> you would say something like that, Andrew Gross. What are you thinking? Well, let's move into a real topic. And I'm very excited. My Triple Crown is a real topic. <laughs> it's real up here, and it's real right here. Let's be clear. <laughs> let's move into a Major League Baseball topic. because Sounds great. Part of the reason why I'm most excited to have you here is because of all the people that I've had baseball-related conversations with in my lifetime, I feel like the most intellectual baseball conversations I've ever had are with you, sometimes over the coffee bar at church or sitting out in the foyer, skipping, uh, listening to the sermon or something like that. <laughs> um, oh, sorry, not to sell you out there or anything, Sean. I, 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 yeah, I don't know but what you're talking about. There are, <laughs> there are, even in the midst of NFL playoffs, we're in the middle of the NBA season, the Major League Baseball has managed to weasel their way into the headlines here and there. They have. They've done a good job or bad job. I'm not sure what you'd call it. It's a little column A, a little (laughs) column B. Um, There's a few things that I'm really interested in getting your opinion on. And one of them, we'll start off with this one, what we touched on in the two-minute drill. I feel like Derek Jeter not getting 100% of the Hall of Fame vote, number one, was basically irrelevant. And number two was just New York fans at their finest. Like, it was just (laughs) New York fan self-important bias at its best. Because you mentioned he wasn't even the best shortstop 
on his own team or in his own era. Well, I've heard that conversation made a lot. Both. <laughs> I've heard that argument made a lot. Yeah. But if I go back a little bit further, I mean, how on earth could there be an argument that Derek Jeter should be 100% and Cal Ripken Jr. should not? I, I agree. Uh, Cal Ripken Jr., uh, uh, was probably the finest shortstop of all time. I, I mean, I might make the argument that Alex Rodriguez, regardless of uh, what uh, nutritional supplements he might or might not have taken, uh, actually he did take. He he he's one of the guys that actually <laughs> <laughs> admitted it. Yeah, but, multiple uh, times. But yeah, yeah. Um, Alex Rodriguez was still an absolutely incredible baseball player, and um, and it was. I, I don't know that I'd say it, it was tragic, but to, but the fact that Alex had to go slide over to third base uh, um, was was definitely not an indictment on on his ability, and it was more a, an indictment on Derek Jeter's uh, unwillingness probably to move over. But it, it, if you remember when uh, in those in those years there were three remarkable shortstops: there was uh, Alex Rodriguez, there was Derek Jeter, and there was Nomar Garcia Parra. Mm. Now Garcia Parra didn't have as good of a career but when they were uh, longevity but uh um but out of those three Derek Jeter was the third best shortstop and Garcia Parra was an absolute beast I mean he hit the 390s oh he was he was incredible and and uh um and going back to uh, a statistic that that Andrew alluded to earlier, WAR. But uh, um, when you look at the, the the WAR rankings, which in baseball is really kind of at this point kind of the best uh, metric to kind of size the career of baseball players, and uh, um, right now Mike Trout is above Derek Jeter in WAR. And Mike Trout has played for eight years, I think. And so I hate that guy. I, so I hate that guy when he bats against the Mariners. I don't know why the Mariners ever even pitch to him. I yell at the radio, the TV, whatever. I don't care. But boy, that guy is a baseball player. I mean, he is an incredible yeah. baseball player. But but yeah, the entitlement that uh, Yankee fans feel that they are owed is remarkable it is it is the most it's almost endearing in a in a in a in a way just because you can look at them and and think my goodness you are completely outside of what reality shows but uh, well they live in a bubble where they they feel like they're so much more important as a group than any other person or people group (laughs) in the world if there is such a thing as a sports echo chamber it exists right over yankee stadium or maybe the entire (laughs) city of new york and with a close uh, close second are new england patriot fans but uh but yeah i i mean the, the fact that Derek didn't make it uh, unanimously, I'm not crying any tears about that. Um, yeah, I I think probably the next player you're going to see go in unanimously might be uh, Mike Trout. I think the frustrating part about all of this really is instead of now celebrating the remarkable career of a first ballot Hall of Famer in right. Derek Jeter, which we would be doing, right. if it had not been hyped up into this thing where... He needs to be only the second person ever in Major League history to get 100% of the vote. And so now people are going out saying, well, he wasn't this and he wasn't that. And we could be, if the media, and I blame the media on a regular basis for things that frustrate me, if it had not been built up into what it's been built up into, 
the conversation would all be different because he was the best player in this Hall of Fame class. And right. we could just be talking about how great he was. Yeah. Like even Larry Walker said, he was the second guy, second highest vote getter to get in. And he was like, well, if Derek Jeter's the A side, I'm the B side. Right. He's going back to like eight tracks or whatever from, you know, <laughs> way back when he was a kid. Yeah. But I think that to me, that's the frustrating part that instead of, and I wasn't, I'm not a Yankee fan. I hate the Yankees. I've never been a Derek Jeter fan, mm-hmm. but when a guy's career is over, I'd like to take a minute to appreciate how right. great he was. And he was great. Yeah. So instead of having conversations about how good Derek Jeter was, and he has 3,000 hits, and he batted, you know, 300, 320, or whatever it was, 308, or something like that, in his career, instead of talking about those things, we're we're lessening him by comparing him to other people that should have gotten 100% of the vote over him. I think that's an excellent point. I, I would much rather be having a conversation about uh, like you said, about a career that was well played, that from all accounts was done the right way. And uh, and not only that, I, I, Derek has a little bit of a soft spot in my heart just because I've seen him at Safeco Field sign autograph after autograph, and he's not one of the flippant just, you know, throw autographs up. as He, he signs very methodically, very thoughtfully, engages with the fans, and I'm always excited when I see that. And, and so... Yeah, the whole conversation around should he have been the second unanimous player, it, it really does uh, overshadow some of the larger, more compelling uh, discussions around Derek Jeter, just uh, uh, the incredible career that he did have. I mean, 20, was it 21 years, 20-year career, all yes. with the Yankees? And, yep. uh, um, and, you know, by all appearances, he was a guy who did things the right way. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know that Derek Jeter... Uh, filed for free agency. I think uh, um, he was a little bit like Felix Hernandez in that mm-hmm. manner, um, which the the ace of the Atlanta Braves. I say ace in quotes, but uh, <laughs> the I, ace I love of the Fe- Atlanta Braves <laughs> single A team. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love Phoenix. <laughs> Felix, that is, that is not meant to be a, a slam on Felix. But uh, breaking um, news: Sean O'Neill blasts Felix Hernandez on the scrimmage. Yeah. Boy, he's going to be tweeting about me. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, no, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I may be wrong on that, but I don't know that, that Derek Jeter ever filed for free agency, or, and if he yeah. did, it might have been just one time. Um, it always re-signed with the Yankees and, and was uh, perfectly content to be, be a Yankee, and uh, um, he might be soiling his reputation and his legacy a little bit down in Miami, but, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, I think being a baseball executive is hard, and it probably it brings out a side of him that he didn't really have to bring out often as a player. Yeah, that's and probably true. The side of him that it's not been very well received in a lot of in a lot of instances. Any he, he's an executive for a team that doesn't want to spend any money, so his job is made additionally hard. Yes. But uh, the other interesting thing about Baseball Hall of Fame is, and probably the thing that I'm more interested in even than Derek Jeter 100% talk, is are we seeing a shift with Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens to where they might actually be able to get in younger voters, maybe some people starting to change their opinions about whether or not the the so-called steroid guys get into the Hall of Fame. I believe they both ended up in the 60s and what you need is 75%. Mm-hmm. And at one point the count had them both in the low 70s until the final numbers came right. out. So what are your thoughts on on those guys getting in? My thoughts are Barry Bonds was unequivocally the greatest baseball player I think I've ever seen, and and probably the greatest baseball player almost anyone who didn't watch Ted Williams or maybe Willie Mays has ever seen. 
prior to steroids. He he was putting together unbelievable seasons. So do you believe um, in the it's okay, he should be in the Hall of Fame because he was great before he took steroids? Uh, no, I, I I think that I, I mean at the end of the day you still have to hit a baseball, which is you know, arguably the hardest thing to do in sports. And he still did it better than anyone else in the history of the game. So he had a little extra juice on him. I, I don't really care. I mean, if, if we, I, 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 yeah, I, I'm a little bit torn, but Barry Bonds was so good that I think that punishing him for taking steroids is probably a step too far. I think that uh, you can mention it on his Hall of Fame plaque or do something, but Barry Bonds was so far and away better than every other player of his era. It's 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 laughable that he's not in the Hall of Fame. And Roger Clemens was, I mean, let's be clear, he was incre- I mean, he was an incredible pitcher. Um, and and I'm a little bit less uh, uh, tenacious about the the Roger Clemens into the Hall of Fame, but he was really really good. And if I'm going to you know really put myself into a corner, then absolutely Roger Clemens deserves to be in the Hall of Fame as well. I mean, it, we, we remember him in the uh, Houston Astros uniform and the uh, uh, Yankees uniform. I think he won Cy Youngs with both of those teams. But even in the – I mean, he set the, the major league record for most strikeouts in a game against the Seattle Mariners with 20 before Kerry Wood came along and, and also did that. Um, but Roger Clemens was an incredible pitcher, and, and uh, um, he, he absolutely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And I think that we will start to see a, a shift on that. I think that the idea that, that steroids was so prevalent during those days – that uh, um, you really don't know who did it and who mm-hmm. didn't. I mean, even though with some folks it's absolutely clear, um, with other folks it might not be so clear, but, eh, I mean, f- folks have pretty reasonable suspicions that to keep one out is to keep all of them out. And and that's just, uh, uh, you know, th- that that's not realistic or, or or should be the case with, especially with Barry Bonds, that guy, I mean, Incredible. There, I mean, there. You can only put one other player in the same breath as Barry Bonds, and that was Babe Ruth, who played in a different era with a, I mean, a, a whole other uh, uh, cohort of players. I mean, you had a whole uh, uh, group of uh, racial group of players that couldn't play with Babe Ruth, and so so to to, to be as good or as as much uh, um, as, as high above the other players was a lot easier for for Babe Ruth than it would be for for uh, Barry Bonds and 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 yeah it, it just no one played baseball like Barry Bonds and I think ultimately you know what you're gonna find is that people have two opinions on this one is gonna be either no steroid guys should be in or man I'm okay with it let's let the steroid guys in and there mm-hmm. just are a bunch of little side arguments for that like people try to use different things to make that argument relevant Mm -hmm. to me. I think the most important thing is what you touched on, which is, you know, this was an era and I might feel differently about guys who get caught using steroids now, but that was an era where we really don't know who was and wasn't using it. Right. So there are all these other guys who very well could have been using steroids as well. And there are even guys who are listed on reports, but their name just doesn't, isn't, synonymous with steroids right and those guys can get through so to me the fact that we're going to punish these guys who use steroids when the general thinking is that most guys were using and even if there weren't 
even if they weren't, we don't know who was and wasn't using. So it right. feels silly to me to punish the guys that we have strong suspicions about. And a lot of times it's we have strong suspicions about it because they achieved greatness. Right. Although, as a side note to that, I, I do uh, think I can say definitively is most people don't get better physically no matter what sport you're playing after the age of 36 or 37. And so when you see these career arcs that do, you know, have that little dip and then you see this uh, 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 rise at the tail end of a career, Justin Verlander, um, just, uh, oops. Wow. But uh, now uh, Justin Verlander's on blast. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Oh, speaking of cheating Astros. No, but, uh, but yeah, I think that's a pretty strong, indicator. I, I mean, I could be just totally talking out of my nose, too. I mean, I don't know. Um, but uh, um, Am yeah. I crazy yes. to think that this entire conversation is kind of dumb? Yes. They are famous. They are the most famous people from that era in the sport. They should be in the Hall of Fame. If you want to punish them, then put them in the Hall of Fame and talk about how they you cheated. But don't, like... The whole the whole conversation about oh should these people be were they famous were they the most famous people of like of to me era? the hall of fame is about preserving the history of the sport it's not about rewarding players it's about preserving the history of the sport so I think that it's kind of dumb that it's even a thing like to me there's like absolutely you should be putting them in the hall of fame and putting them on blast for cheating. Well, baseball has more purists than any other sport does. This is true. So you'll be old people, you mean? Yeah, but see, and I think that's why we're seeing the shift because, you know, a lot of these guys who had Hall of Fame votes, maybe they're retiring and their votes are getting passed on to younger people. Right. Or maybe there's people who are kind of more in the moderate age range that thought one way previously. But I think, you know, as much as we talk about millennials and maybe people who are a little older than millennials, what I think a strength of our generation is, is the ability to adapt your mindset at times. Like I've, I've completely changed my mind on so many things between the age of 24 and 34. I view the world completely differently. Where if you had asked me this, we are wishy-washy. That's, it's a, it's a reasonable thing to say. But for me, if you had asked me 10 or 12 years ago, if I thought Barry Bonds should be in the fa- in the Hall of Fame, I'd have told you, heck no, that guy's a dirty cheater. I don't want him in the Hall of Fame. But just my mindset has changed in a way that people who are 60 plus years old just doesn't. Like, so until we see some of those guys start to pass their vote off to younger people, or when we see the people who are the younger Hall of Fame voters start to shift their way of thinking, I really do think these guys are going to get in. And I believe... Bonds has two more years of eligibility left. I think that's probably true. Yeah. And and just uh, uh, to, to take your comment and, and run with it, Edgar Martinez is the poster child for this. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it took... Another it, it, example of just, I, I don't think that there's a good... Ar- I don't think that there's a respectable argument for not putting him in the Hall of Fame. Oh, no, like, they're... they're like, they're, it's like... He's a famous player. He's one of the best players at his position. You're arguing about, oh, well, that shouldn't be a recognized position. But it is. And and a designated hitter affects the game a whole lot more than a closer, I yeah. would say. And so if you're going to start putting closers in, I mean, if Raleigh Fingers is in the Baseball Hall of Fame, then Edgar Martinez uh, definitely deserved to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And you're talking about... And rightfully so, he's there. The, the position's 
award is named after him. That's correct. I think yeah. many people would agree that he was the greatest designated hitter of all time. Although you could you could argue that there were guys that were DHs in four periods of time that may have been better hitters than him. Like there are guys who maybe started as a fielder, but then they they right. moved to designated hitter and they hit monster amounts of home runs. Albert Pujols or right, exactly. Right. Or you know there are other guys. Frank Thomas, I think, Frank right, Thomas, towards the end of his uh, career was a DH. Yeah, right. There there are examples like that. But as far as somebody who exemplifies the position of designated hitter, right. And we're gonna agree in general. We're gonna agree that he's the greatest of all time. And you've got a closer and you've got a DH and. Different people would argue different things about which affects the game more. But Mariano Rivera is the greatest closer of all time. He got 100% of the vote. That's, that's How is right. it possible that Edgar Martinez took so long to get in is something that doesn't make sense to me. And we could talk about Baseball Hall of Fame all day, but there's another baseball topic I want to get to. Speaking of awesome. cheaters. Yeah. Oh. Those dirty, rotten, cheating Astros. Those Astros. They... Banged on garbage cans. Yeah. Maybe they had some kind of vibrating sensors clipped to their nipples. <laughs> There's lots of different rumors out there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think ultimately <laughs> the question that I want to know from you is, did Major League Baseball came down hard? They, they did. did a one-year yeah. ban for the GM and for the manager who both got fired. Um, they It also resulted in two other guys getting fired who are managers other places now. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like... It was a harsh punish punishment on the organizations, and I'm curious what you think about whether that punishment was adequate for the cheating scandal. I so I don't know. Like like, like this is I, this is a complex question. I think, yeah. and and whether or not the 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 punishment is adequate or not. I mean, is it too? Does it go too far to have them vacate their title? I, I think that's really the question here. And it does seem to be suggested that their title, because those I, that, that series against the uh, Dodgers went seven games, right, as I recall, and they were tight games. And so their title might be and I think a, they won all their home games, didn't they? Uh, yeah, my memory is not what it uh, okay. used to be, but but uh, I, I, I'm not going to disagree with that. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I have heard that, yes. Uh, but uh, um, you can make the argument that their title is a direct... Like, getting there, obviously, they had an incredibly talented roster, and they did the rebuild the right way. And, the, and and full disclosure, I was really kind of an Astros fan, I mean, uh, of the process and of the organization uh, because I, I grew up a Nolan Ryan fan, and Nolan Ryan uh, uh, was on staff with the Astros at that point, and his son is the president of baseball operations, Reed Ryan. But uh, th th just the way that they rebuilt and they tore it down and they drafted well and they didn't spend money and and it w really was a good story and it's really kind of what I'm hoping the Mariners are doing right now. Well, they're minus, trying. Minus the cheating. <laughs> but... Uh, um, I think it's, the cheating is okay as long as you get away with it. I was going to say, yeah. minus the getting caught cheating. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah right, minus the getting caught. you got to be smarter than that. But, uh, I mean, you got to do a little bit of cheating probably, you know. Like, like there's a difference between stealing signs when you're on second base and relaying that. And exactly. there's a difference between putting in, you know, 800 millimeter lenses and, and creating this entire, uh, uh, you know, system to, to, to cheat. Right. When um, the electronic technology becomes involved. Right. And you've now, got is, a whole system set up that's based on that 
you've right. gone too far. Is right. is stealing ba- uh, signs from second base actually cheating, or is I that think it's it, a generally yeah. accepted form of cheating? Yeah. Okay, so it is against the rules. Though. I don't think so, actually. I don't really? think there's a rule against. Okay, that. that's I what I was curious yeah, about. I, sure. I wasn't sure if that was against the rules or not. I know everyone does it, or or. Like See, I've also heard try. some baseball players say, I can't remember who who the interview was I heard earlier this week, he didn't want as a hitter, and it was a great hitter, gosh, I feel stupid for not remembering, said he didn't want anyone trying to give him hit tips from second base because it's really hard to know whether you're right or not. And so right. he didn't want to give everything on a pitch based on what signal someone was stealing from second base and then them be wrong. Right. Yeah. Well, and that would be where you'd gain the advantage by setting up a whole, like, Presumably, if you're if you're recording it and studying it, and you've got all this apparatus set up, you're not you're not thinking you've got it. You're you know. Yeah. Yeah, and so to the punishment part, like like, would I have been? Would I have thought that it was a tragedy if they had to vacate their title? No, I don't think so. But in the vacation of that uh, uh, title. Uh, it would have been cheap to have given it to the Dodgers or something. And I think there's a movement down I don't think you can in, even give it to anybody. No, you, you just have a, a, a vacant title there, yeah. which I think is the best way. And the other thing, I mean, it's like a postseason ban or something like that, which I think then then it, you can't do that because it cheapens then the work of the, of the teams that uh, um, either A, uh, win the division or, or, or the wild card. And it's like, well, the Astros, who still have a loaded – you know, roster and are probably going to be quite good this year, regardless. Um, but it, but then it cheapens the accomplishments of, of the teams that come behind. So, um, I think it is interesting. Like, like for the owner, like a five million dollar fine is really just kind of a slap on the wrist when you're a billionaire. I mean, five bill, five million dollars isn't really that much money, at least as a percentage of your net worth. Um, I think the the picks are a big deal, and yeah. I think the 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 GM for the Astros is is quite good, and and so that probably is a big deal. But uh, uh, let's be really clear: the Astros are going to be good this year because they have a really really good lineup. Now it's going to be interesting to see how good uh, Jose Altuve is this year. Yeah. I mean that that's going to be uh, an interesting uh, uh, observation to see what happens there. And um, and and I just I hate watching George Springer uh, bat against the Mariners. So maybe we'll <laughs> see some relief there. But uh, um, uh, yeah, I I think the fact that Major League Baseball in the context of punishments that they dish out. Uh, uh, for these types of things, that they really did amp it up and, and really tried to make a point of the Astros uh, was heartening. Um, we'll see what happens uh, uh, as we as we go forward. I, I, I don't know whether or not they're going to be investigating the the Red Sox, uh, uh, yeah. you know, that much further. Um, but uh, but we'll see. Well, that's the other thing about this is that there are. Uh, you have the Red Sox who have their own, I believe they said they are going to investigate the Red Sox, that Major yeah. League Baseball is going to investigate the Red Sox, which could end up being a really similar situation. And yeah. you have Alex Cora there, right. the manager of that team, which was one of the guys who was, I think he was a bench coach at the time. Yeah. He, he was he a was, garbage can banger. He was a garbage can <laughs> banger in the actual Astros uh, cheating scandal. Yeah. So the other interesting thing about this is how you get such varying opinions 
of a couple of things from people that are inside of baseball. It's hard to really sort out who's telling the truth and who's not. Right. Um, I think the opinion of Mike Fires as the whistleblower is really wide ranging. Mm-hmm. I view Mike Fires as like a courageous hero almost. Like <laughs> he violated something that baseball people, baseball purists, base, most baseball players would tell you this is a cardinal sin. You don't go out and whistleblow on something that happens in the clubhouse. Right. And he did it boldly in a way that it didn't seem to really benefit him in any way. It only can hurt him down the line and his ability to get jobs. But it was something that he felt strongly enough about that he wanted to go out and, and try to make it right. The conscience is a powerful thing. Yeah. Which means I should probably apologize to Justin Verlander. Do the record. <laughs> go ahead. I have no re- no proof that Justin Verlander, other than my own statistical analysis, used performance-enhancing drugs. Okay. Well, we got that out of the way, which is I'm good. sorry, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I think is really interesting is the wide-ranging opinions about whether or not this was even wrong. Because... I listened to an interview with former Marlins executive David Sampson uh-huh. right as the uh, all the information was starting to come out and the punishments were handed down. And he was basically saying, hey, you know what? They got caught and that stinks and they probably took it too far. Mm-hmm. But this is what it is in baseball. As technology has improved, it has always been incumbent upon the defensive team to be to do something to prevent people from stealing your signs. Right. Apparently, there was a report that during the World Series, Nationals pitchers had five different sets of signs un- under the bills of their caps, and that any moment they could switch from any of these five different sets of signs to make it so that it was less possible to steal your signs and much more complicated to try to get them. And so basically what Samson was saying was like, yeah, it stinks that they got caught, but if you don't think that everyone is doing this on some right. level, you're naive. Yeah, that I, I'm sure that that's true. And, uh, I mean, the, the history of baseball is the history of how much can you get away with and how not only how much can you get away with, but what's the tolerance level of the league? I mean, yeah. it's like everyone knew Gaylord Perry, going way back here, but uh, through spitballs and, and had... Uh, untold number of appliances maybe in his gloves or something <laughs> to, scuff uh, to scuff the ball or do whatever or Vaseline or some level yeah. and and that kind of thing is just you know relatively tolerated or relatively accepted I think knowing where the line is I, I do think that with the Astros it seems like that the line was pretty clear to the rest of baseball or at least to, to a good, good number of the rest of baseball right well the and baseball so, commissioner Rob Manfred had sent out a memo to all teams saying, hey, we're doing some digging and finding that people are doing this. Stop it now. Right. Or here's how we're going to punish you. And they were so arrogant, which I think is a theme of the way the Astros front office has generally handled things over the last couple mm-hmm. years. They were like, we're the Astros. Like, they literally think that they're basically Yankees fans. Like, they live in their own little <laughs> dome. They felt like no one could touch them and nothing was going to happen. And they violated the rule and they got Everything's caught. Everything's bigger in Texas. But they, exactly. They had to have known that that is exactly what was going to happen. And the commissioner also said, hey, the people that are going to be punished are the people that are in charge. And that's exactly what he did. The ban right. came for the manager and the GM. Right. Although I feel like the owner and, you know, maybe people higher up get a, got off a little scot-free. Well, the owner fired him, right? 
Didn't, didn't they both get fired? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So he clearly didn't know what was going on. Well, okay. So here, here's the problem with this line. <laughs> I of am thinking. shocked and chagrined. Well, Sean, was, wow. <laughs> Sean was saying earlier that like the fine that's handed down to an owner, those guys are so rich. It's like if you told what was the fine for the owner? Five million. Five million dollars. So if you oh, were to yeah. tell one of these billionaire owners, hey. Um, you're going to get in a cheating scandal, get caught in a cheating scandal. You're going to get fined. Your, your organization may be set back for a few years, but Hey, you're going to get a world series victory in the meantime. I think most of them are going to take that. Oh, yeah. And that, that's the argument that I've heard is that, uh, um, if, uh, against the size of the, the punishment that the Astros got is that if you talk to almost any GM in baseball and you said you can trade or owner, you can trade this for a world series victory. And you know, I think it's going to be a larger number than we might think. Are going to say, "Yeah, I'll take that trade." I mean, it's like so. I, I mean, was as a fan, I would take it. I'm not. I'm yeah. not saying I want I my mean, team to cheat. However, but as Mariner fans, <laughs> we. I mean, it's it, it's not going to take much for us to move I'd to the dark to side. Get, I mean, I'd take it to get to the playoffs. <laughs> playoffs. I mean, playoffs. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, 18 years, uh, 19 years since the Mariners have been in the playoffs and never have made a World Series appearance. I think that they need to cheat a little more. Pretty much do. Yeah, they need to do something. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of the Mariners, yeah. let's uh, transition into something that I think is really interesting that we got as a question from a listener, which was to rank our five best Mariners of all time. Hmm. And the Daniel's gone, and I think w- <laughs> the way we're going to do this, you know, when mom and dad are away, the kids will play. Uh, I think the way we're going to do this is I'm going to save mine, and it's not because I'm lazy and I didn't make the list yet, although that's exactly what happened. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have Sean give his since he's here, and then when Daniel is back, Daniel and I will do our list, and I'm just going to copy <laughs> Sean. So... So I'm a little offended that I'm not going to be able to make fun of your guys' list. But you can make right. fun of our lists all you want. <laughs> I'll be typing in. <laughs> so, so Joey Sean, Cora. <laughs> Sean, hit me with your five greatest Mariners of all time. Five Wolverine. greatest ma- Mariners of all time. Uh, number one has got to be Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, he is in the, the list of top baseball players of all time. Mm-hmm. So we've got Ken Griffey Jr. Number and I know you disagree with me on this because you say Barry Bonds. Mm-hmm. I say in my lifetime, the greatest all-around baseball player I've ever seen, save for maybe Mike Trout is ruining this argument, is Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> So anyway, I love Alex your first Rodriguez pick. was really really no. good, um, <laughs> but uh, who Ken Griffey Jr. is is the greatest Mariner of all time. And uh, number two has got to be Edgar Martinez, I think. Number three, Ichiro. Uh, Ichiro really kind of revolutionized how the game was played, and uh, uh, it w- was the first. We forget this, but was the first Japanese position player to come over from Japan. And there's been a and, ton since. And then. there's been a ton since then. So he was an absolute pioneer in what he did. And I, I was at his very first game uh, ever, and 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 he just. He, he played the game so differently, but was obviously so effective. And it's going to be really fun when Ichiro goes into the you, Hall of Fame. You were at his first game ever? I was, yeah. Really, I was, well, you get to do all, you get to go to all the Mariners games.
games that I wish that I had been at. <laughs> I was at that game. The perfect I was, game. I was at the perfect game. And I was also at the uh, so jealous. Uh, uh, so jealous and ALDS also game against the Chicago White Sox uh, with the sacrifice bun at the end. Suicide I'm squeeze. And, slightly happy for you that you got to experience those things, but mostly just really envious. <laughs> it, it was pretty fun. Although, in retrospect... You know, you, you knew, like, watching Felix Hernandez's perfect game that you were watching greatness on yeah. the field. I mean, but uh, in in uh, Ichiro's first game, you didn't quite have sure. that uh, uh, same sense of awe for, for history there. And but, I actually remember, just, I don't want to sidetrack you, and we're going to go back to that in a second. Oh, no problem. But I want to give you credit for something, because I remember having a conversation with you that season saying that you were trying to go to a game that Felix was pitching because you hoped that he would pitch a perfect game. <laughs> like, you spoke it into existence. And I, <laughs> I remember at the time when you had told me that, I was like, well, Sean, come on, man. Perfect games don't happen. What are you talking about? Yeah, they, they don't happen. And it was really funny because uh, I, I actually won those tickets to that game. And I took my parents, and that was their first ever game at Safeco Field, which was wow. really pretty fun. And so it was an afternoon game in mid-August. It was like 86 degrees, crystal clear, blue sky. It was really a, a fantastic day. But uh, um, so, so we've got uh, top five Mariners. We've got Ken Griffey Jr. We have Edgar Martinez. We have Ichiro Suzuki. Uh, we have Felix Hernandez, I think, is a top five Mariner. He, we have forgotten because of the erosion that's happened to Felix's career these last couple years, but just how good Felix was in his prime. He was, he was uh, Pedro Martinez slash uh, Clayton Kershaw good. I think he set the major league record for the most quality starts, and I can't remember in a row, and I can't remember what season that was, if that was 2012 or 2013. But, uh, uh, I mean, he would go out there and pitch eight innings and give up one or two runs and strike out ten and walk none or walk one and just and roll lose. those and lose <laughs> or, or get a no decision and just roll that out start after start after start. And and uh, so so Felix is in there as well. And uh, when, when his career is over, it'll be a love fest in Seattle because for, you know, through thick and thin or, or no matter what happened. Mostly what, thin. Mostly thin uh, for the rest of the team because he was on horrible teams. I mean, yeah. let's be clear. He was on absolute garbage dumpster fire of teams and was the best pitcher in the league. And was and, very loyal to the team and repeatedly. Was, it was loyal to the team. And then not only that, when he was arguably the best pitcher in baseball and could have... I mean, let, let's be, he, he's a very wealthy individual at this point. But when he could have cashed in and went to the Yankees or went to uh, the Red Sox and become a legend and a first ballot Hall of Famer, probably just because he would have been on those teams in one World Series, he didn't even file for free agency and he just signed an extension with the Seattle Mariners, the absolutely awful cellar dweller Seattle Mariners. And so... He, it will it will be he will forever be fondly remembered in Seattle and 34 will be retired and I'm not sure if he's a hall of, baseball hall of famer or not yes. at this point I but think he um, is. I I think he's close but I I think it you know with the new uh, 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 you know slug of voters that's going to come along he might just make it but uh, so so he's four and then number five is tough but I think. You have to go with, or at least I have to go with Randy Johnson. Yeah. He was so dominant, and 
And we did not get Randy Johnson's best years in a Seattle Mariner uniform. Those came later. But the just the electric uh, uh, abilities that he had, and that '95 season, I'll just never forget Randy mm-hmm. Johnson. And 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 he, and he was a Mariner for about a decade. Yeah, he was a Mariner for about. I a think we figured decade. out nine, nine years. Nine years. Uh, yeah. Actually, I was <laughs> funny. Th- funny story. Speaking of being at all the Mariner games, I was at the Mariner game where he was traded to the Houston Astros. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, I I will never forget it. We're sitting. Uh, 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 we're sitting down the the right field. No, sorry, the the left. Yeah, the left field line, and they put on the jumbotron. Lou Pinella leaning over and talking to Randy, and him just going white as a ghost, and then just like huffing into the into the uh, uh, backs in, back into Gosh. the tunnel, and it was just like he was just traded. And and uh, later, you know, everyone found out that he was traded for. Uh, Freddie Garcia, um, I can't even remember now. I think it was John Halama and um, um, the shortstop uh, again. And so, yeah. so yeah, I, I would. Gar- Freddie Garcia ended up being a good player. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't think the Mariners, you know, lost on that trade at all. But uh, it was also there was a lot of tension between the Mariners management and Randy Johnson at that point. That was not, you know, it, it was uh, handwriting was on the wall that that relationship had eroded. So. Uh, just for the record, I have Felix Hernandez as the tenth highest-paid baseball player of all time, with two hundred and twenty-one point three million dollars, based on uh, what Business Insider says about the highest-paid baseball player. And if you follow Felix Hernandez on Instagram, you will see that he is spending that money uh, in a very fun manner because he has a lot of really cool cars. <laughs> <laughs> That's about the best Those are way. investments. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, yeah. When you okay. have $221 million, that's, yeah. it's really hard to spend through that. So now we've got Sean's top five greatest Mariners of all time, which is going to be very similar to my list because... I'm going to do a little bit more digging, but when I was going through, the only difference that I might have had, I think, was I had, um, I had, I'm blanking on your fourth. Uh, I had, uh, my fourth was Felix. Felix. I think when I made my initial list, I had Felix ahead of Ichiro. Okay. But it was a very fluid list that I just scrawled out. And I thought I was a little nervous that Randy Johnson was going to get left out actually because he didn't have the longevity in Seattle, but the guy was incredible. So, he was really really Shifting fun. gears slightly but staying with the Mariners. I think last year when Mariners front office came out and said, "Hey everyone, you don't have to pay attention to our team for a few years." It was maybe a little disheartening and kind of freeing for some of us because yeah. literally I have not paid any attention to the Mariners since he said that. So what I'm curious, since I feel like what they want to do is follow the Astros model, but not get caught cheating. part of it, yeah. (laughs) They want to follow that model where they're trading now talent for prospects, they're, they're drafting smart, they're building through the farm system, and then when they get to the point where their core is mostly built up from the inside, then maybe they try to look outside and grab a few free agents when they feel like they're ready to win. 
do you feel like the move? I feel like more often than not, I'm just frustrated generally by what they do. Mm-hmm. Have you felt like the moves they've made over the last year or so have been the right moves? I do think that. And, uh, and full disclosure, I am, I mean, I always describe the Mariners as my first love. Like I love the Seattle Mariners. And, um, and so I'm prone to be a little bit optimistic. <laughs> um, Justin and I outed ourselves last week as Fairweather Mariners fans. You Absolutely, a hundred percent. Which is why Justin wasn't in any of those games that you were at. <laughs> hey, in in the hundred and sixteen win season, I went to like eight games. Yeah, I so I just you know it's so funny. Before we get to the Mariners, just. I want to set context for folks that might not remember or maybe you weren't born yet or something. That 2001 season, like going to a Mariner game, it was literally the entire city was a huge Mariner party mm-hmm. for four months. You couldn't get tickets to a game. I mean, you you everywhere you went in the city you would hear Dave Niehaus on the radio and games were broadcast no matter where you were at. If the game was on, the city was shut down and watching the Mariner, it, it, watching the Mariners. It was, it was literally like Seahawk playoff game atmosphere, mm-hmm. but imagine that every, day. every single day. And it's in the middle of, I remember 2001 as just an unbelievably beautiful summer and the all-star game was here and the Mariners absolutely owned the city of Seattle. Like there was no 1B, 1C. It was Mariners and oh, our other teams are kind of an afterthought. I mean, the the, the Huskies were also good then, but the Mariners were top dog. And um, in that season, I was, I believe I was 15 years old and I was homeschooled. I watched Almost, I might have missed five games. I watched yeah. every single game. It was appointment television. Yeah, I watched the matinees. I watched everything. I was I, I, I was listening to them, but yeah. yes, absolutely. And I'm certain you guys came over because I, I was uh, uh, renting from Doug and Lois Cotton at the mm-hmm. time, and I'm sure that you and your dad and I you guys would did, come yeah. over. And, and I mean, Mariner games were like there was barbecues every yeah. night just like to watch parties. the Mariners. Yeah. I mean, it was it was that big, and the Mariners had enraptured the city in a way that I don't even know that just because of the day-to-day nature of baseball and in the fact that it's summertime and people are out and you're just doing things I don't even know and this might be a stretch but the Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl run did not quite capture the same flavor or or um, fervor that that the 2001 Mariners did I think at the, at some point the, the the Super Bowl run, and I'm not minimizing this at all, but this is just how big the Mariners were that year. And and, and 2002, because we forget that the Mariners were very good in 2002. And uh, um, and if it wasn't for the Oakland Athletics going on that 21-22 game winning streak, maybe it was just 20, I can't recall, but uh, the whole money ball thing with Billy Bean. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, the Mariners won over 90 games that year, and, and so the Mariners owned it. And it was just, it was so much fun. But uh, so fast forward to now, because 2001 was the last time that the Mariners made the playoffs. And uh, um, I do think that they are rebuilding in the right way. 
And, you know, the argument that I made with uh, people were just, you know, gnashing their teeth when they traded Eddie Diaz. And it was like, I totally get it. You know, I got that one because closers are very rarely dominant for more than a couple of years at a time. Right. Closers are very rarely dominant, but he was so good. Like, like Diaz was, was just uh, the definition of electric. And I'm like, you know, guys, the Mariners suck. And it's like, (laughs) if you are absolutely terrible, a closer is the least thing that you need. Yeah. I mean, because because I mean, you really want to you want a good closer on a really good team. If you're a crappy team and you're not getting your closer, I mean, it's like sure, it's fun when he gets out there, but at the end of the day, you're still gonna suck. Or uh, the analogy that I use is it's like someone that's starving has a Rolex on their wrist, but they're not willing to trade that Rolex for, for you know, some, some food or something like that. I mean, Eddie Diaz was a Rolex on the wrist of a starving Mariners team. And, and so, <laughs> I mean... It's it, vivid and I love it. <laughs> and, uh, um, it, but I do think, I mean, now if you go to New York, though, and you talk to a Mets fan... They are so livid that we have Jared Kellenick. I mean, Jared Kellenick. <laughs> you, you're kidding, right? You do know that, that, like, Baseball America just ranked in the last two weeks, like, Baseball America and Baseball Prospectus uh, ranked uh, uh, minor league system and put together their, their list of the top 100 prospects. No, and for the, the Mariners first... GMs told me that I don't have to pay attention to baseball for a few years, so I did not actually know that name. Well, Jared, explain it. Jared, <laughs> Jared Kellenick, I mean, you hate putting this on anyone, but is like, kind of seen as Mike Trout light. He's really, really good. And he is an incredible uh, prospect. And then the Mariners also have Julio Rodriguez right now, who's uh, depending, I think uh, Baseball Prospectus and Baseball America have those guys flipped. Like one's eight, one's 11 in, uh, in as far as best prospects in the entire country. Um, and then in the other one, I think he's like 11 and 16. But uh, Baseball America has Jared Kellenick rated number eight. And, and and they have five or six guys in the top 100. So we have a very respectable, not just respectable, the, the, the top end of our farm system right now is really high. You got uh, Logan Gilbert, uh, uh, and, and it, who is looking like a number one, number two type starter. You have Evan White, who just, the Mariners just for the first time ever signed a six-year uh, major league extension without him actually ever playing a major league game. And then you have Jake Fraley, who's, uh, uh, was the Texas league player of the year last year. And, uh, is now your, uh, uh, an outfielder for the Mariners. You have all of these, these, uh, uh, pieces that are just starting to come together. And it's looking like, like the top end of the, of the Mariners starting lineup. I don't think that they're going to be competitive this year. Why, um, why as a Mariners fan, should I have, any faith that they're going to develop these players into anything that's worth a crap because how many times that's over the last 20 years have we had a jeremy that, reed that's or a, a taiwan walker or a dustin Ackley or a dustin Ackley, Ackley, Ackley who was supposed to but, be this great right player right and that's that, a fair question and i think the the fact that you have new leadership um it's uh, it's not Woody Woodward or it's not Jack Zarenzik, but uh, I think Jerry Depoto is a smart guy. He has a plan. He's sticking to his plan. 
He takes in, you know, uh, incredible amounts of information. And I think he's he I think he evaluates players the right way. Now, whether or not you evaluate the coaching staff that is charged with bringing those players up, that's a whole other question, yeah. and I don't think that I'm qualified to answer that or, or know enough to answer that. Yeah, I don't think any of us are. But that's the hard part about all this because I feel like we're living in a time where the manager of the team is becoming less and less relevant. Because yeah, it's so the GM. Many, yeah, so many things are based and driven on analytics and based and driven on what the GMs do that the mariner, the manager is more or less a figurehead. And what really matters is the coaches that are behind the scenes that are responsible for development. Yeah. And I don't even know who any of them are. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same guys. I don't know if it's anybody different. All I know is that I'm so beaten down as a Mariners fan yeah. from watching them fail over and over again. And this isn't just failure where you don't have anything going for you. This is failure where they've spent a buttload of money on teams to try to get good right. and been completely una- unable to do so because right. either either the free agents that they have play great but then their prospects don't come in and fill in the holes right. or you have Smoke. prospects that are really great and you don't do a good job of, of putting veterans around them to help fill out the team. Yeah. It's been an incredibly frustrating stretch. So I don't know how on board everyone else who is a Fairweather fan of the Mariners as I am. Uh, would feel about this, but like I just don't have I just don't have faith that anything's gonna change. It feels like we're gonna go right back into the same cycle. Now, there has been a pretty significant change in ownership over the last several, like a few years ago, wasn't there? Yeah. So uh, th- there is a, a bit of a change in ownership. So John Stanton is now the um, he's the figurehead owner, and he seems to be um, more. Well, he is he's much more present, not seems to be, because you can't be less present than the Mariners' previous owner, which was Hiroshi <laughs> Yamauchi, um, who never actually once went to a game. That uh, yeah. is is remarkable. But, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, but John Stanton seems to be an engaged owner, but also is empowering his his leadership. So Jerry Depoto and 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 his folks to really bring that up. And I, and I do think that, that DePoto has been uh, uh, pretty careful in his selection of, of uh, uh, coaching staff. And I think that he's building, building that building. I, I, I speak English really well, but uh, one um, thing I know is word, good, talk, talk. <laughs> Boy, howdy. So this is, this, this is, this is true. The you know highest quality of the radio echelon is, <laughs> yes. is right here, but and but it's fair to say that this is not like it's 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 okay for us to hope that this isn't the same Mariners, right? Yeah, like and it's not just the same. Yeah, people doing you can that's you fair. can say and hope that this is not the same Mariners, and I'm gonna judge you from this corner and say that you're living on a wing and a prayer, and it's never gonna happen. They're never gonna get to the playoffs again in my so, lifetime. So that that level of same old Mariners is a little <laughs> bit tiresome. I mean, but uh, um, I mean, you just have Listen, to. I just don't want to watch no. a game every night, and I'm trying to come up with. Excuses. <laughs> you do want to watch baseball games no. are too long. No, you do want to watch a game every night. You just want to watch a 2001 game every night. Uh, yeah, maybe. But um, uh, it because uh, old now and he wants to go to bed. <laughs> That's at least partially true. <laughs> no, I totally get that. It's like 
Could you imagine being a sports fan on the East Coast, though, where they have to stay up no. until, like, midnight or 1 o'clock to no, watch they games? Don't. They just don't watch them. We even, all know they don't watch even, them, Justin. Even Sunday night football <laughs> games, which would be on at, like, 8.30? Yeah. So they're staying up until midnight? To they can watch, sleep in right? on Sundays, though. They can sleep in until, like, noon on Sundays and not miss any any football. Yeah, but they still do have to get to work on Monday morning That's after true. That. That's and it, true. I mean, if you're commuting in from, you know... Crap, <laughs> crap city new jersey into manhattan i mean that's like an hour and a half on a train and so no offense to all the new jerseyites that are out there listening offense to us to them. yeah even the super bowl which <laughs> is what we're going to transition into next even the super bowl which i think kicks off at like 3 30 or so something like that here that means over there it's kicking off at 6 30 the yeah. super bowl should be on a saturday let's be clear about that why is the super bowl on a sunday evening i think because that well that's a fair oh. question or it should be on a sunday afternoon and that monday should be a national holiday I think sunday <laughs> sunday is more of a free and easy day like people plan especially people with families plan things a lot on saturdays or you have you have lots of sports that happen on saturdays your youth sports all happen a lot on saturdays but sunday is often like the free day of the week so i understand and support it being on a sunday but why do you have to kick it off at 3 30 like people on the west coast aren't going to be upset if you kick off at one you kick it off That's at four true. on the east four on, the east coast. on the east coast too so they're not playing it yeah. until six their yeah. own time but 6.30, if it's a 6.30 kickoff, that's like 10 o'clock by the time the game's over. And That's a nice night, though. I mean, 10 o'clock's not that unusual. You do not want to be around my five-year-old daughter at 10 o'clock at night. I'll tell you that much. So I'm not going to a Super Bowl party with her. Right. But you, you, you put the kids to bed. But that, it ruins the the social aspect of it. Like, you want to no, know something. Having else. less children around does not ruin the social aspect. <laughs> no, no, that's not what I mean. Well, then who's going to watch her? Just... <laughs> I I like being around my children. No, I know. That was not an indictment on your So you children. have accused Justin Verlander of using steroids. <laughs> You've slighted Felix Hernandez. You've insulted my children. You just insulted somebody else, too, didn't you? I can't remember who it was. Pro- New Jersey. New Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you're just on a rampage today. We need to have him back. <laughs> but I guess uh, I'm curious... I, I understand there are lots of different Super Bowl traditions. My Super Bowl tradition is generally I go watch the Super Bowl at my dad's house. And then I kind of just, I don't ever really often invite that many people. But some people ask, hey, where are you watching the game? And I'll be like, hey, come over. I'm watching with my dad. So we don't have a Super Bowl party per se. But I was watching at the same place. I always just go to the Super Bowl party that Justin throws Andrew with his dad. usually comes to watch the game with me. Sean, what do you do for Super Bowl? Uh, I usually go over to the uh, pastors in my church's house, uh, Doug and Lois Cotton. And uh, for the most part... Is that uh, like a BYOB party? <laughs> yeah, it is. Bring your own Actually, Bible? It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a party that there's usually a whole lot of food there. And um, um, and and the highlight is, is they usually have their friends over that are crab fishermen. And so there's usually Ooh. crab there. Which is, uh, I think, I'm, I have just started a new Super Bowl tradition. I, <laughs> I, I love crab, and so, but uh, it's really good to to see everybody over there too. So, yeah, I don't get to hang out with them as much as I used to, and uh, just, but, uh, but yeah, for the most part, I think 
I, I go over to, to the Cottons and watch the Super Bowl. And yeah, I have a question for you guys. I that I it kind of goes with something that I've noticed because we we went to two Super Bowls in a row. And by we, I mean the Seahawks went to super two Super Bowls in a row. You can't say we. I know that's why I was correcting myself. <laughs> the Seahawks went to two Super Bowls in a row. Yeah, and so we had that recent wait memory. when you say we do you mean the seahawks we or? we the fans have that recent memory of of super bowls that we really really cared about mm-hmm. yeah do you do you like that experience not not like obviously we we all want to see our favorite team go to the super bowl and win the super bowl but the the super bowl tradition like you were talking about it is yeah. it's very tra- like we have traditions around it that we do every year and and just thinking about it, it, it really upsets those traditions to all of a sudden, no, I need to be paying attention to the game yeah. because cause I care a lot about what's right. going on. I did actually, uh, I do have an opinion on that because <laughs> the years that the Seahawks, I, I actually think not having a team to root for in the Super Bowl is kind of freeing in it a makes way. It, mm-hmm. it makes the game I, itself more enjoyable. I, I obviously want the Chiefs to win. This Sunday, right? Because I, screw I the Forty Nine ers Forty Nine ers to lose. Yeah, I don't really but care. <laughs> at the same time, like yeah, I'm not gonna be devastated if the Forty Nine ers win the Super Bowl. I don't really care that much. And there's been lots of ones over the year. Like if the Patriots are in it, I'm pissed when they win. Yeah, but there's not very many teams that I feel that way about. And so like to have one where you don't really have a dog in the fight is a little bit freeing, in a way. And in particular, I can't remember the the one that the Seahawks won was like such a slaughter fest that from the very beginning that it almost the di- second half of that game was boring. It di- it didn't really matter yeah. too much how much you paid attention <laughs> to the game or how much you could hear. What? But the second one that they lost against the Patriots that was like I this is I'm going to handle this delicately. There was about 20 kids over. Yeah, I remember. And it was so loud. That everyone didn't that was just, there... Didn't I just make this point? Yeah, you did. <laughs> Everybody that was there to watch with us, I love and I care about. And I hope that they all come to watch with us this Sunday, even though I literally haven't invited anybody, except <laughs> Andrew. Uh, he but hadn't invited me. I, d- I texted you and asked if you were coming. That's kind of an invitation. Um, but... I don't. I won't care as much if there's a bunch of kids running around all over the place this time. I'm not, I'm not that invested in this game. But that one was a little tough, and I I know I know that Daniel had a little bit of a hard time with that one too, because not only was he trying really hard to focus on the game, but also when the game was over, Daniel was just devastated, and it was like the rest of us were kind of upset, but also we were okay, and he actually got mad at us for not being more upset about the <laughs> fact that the Seahawks lost. <laughs> Um, and I think that was at least partially a side effect of, of how we consumed the game that day. Yeah. Because it was yeah. a little it was a little bit of chaos. It so, just occurred to me as we were talking about tradition, I yeah. was like, yeah, you know what's kind of cool? It, it is, it's freeing to be like, hey, yeah. I can just enjoy the tradition of going to a Super Bowl party and having the game on and and talking to people and, and watching the game instead of being like, so we're really we're, upset. We're gonna do this thing. We're gonna go around the table here, and we're gonna we're gonna predict a score. We're each gonna predict a score, um, and also we're gonna talk a little bit each about <laughs> what we think is important and how we think the game is gonna go. We're gonna start with Andrew. Oh gosh, I think it's gonna be twenty-seven to 
31, and I think the Chiefs are going to win. Okay. I think they're going to win at the end because I... And this isn't me thinking, this is me hoping. I'm really hoping that Garoppolo is not a clutch quarterback who wins games at the end, even though he's shown signs that he might be. I'm hoping he's not for the future. So uh, I'm hoping that Garoppolo can't put it together at the end of the game. And I think Mahomes has shown that he absolutely can. And I think he'll pull the game out at the end. Sean, what do you think? Well, I think it's going to be... Do I think or do I hope? Probably both. (laughs) 34-18 Chiefs. Um, And again, I think that the difference is going to come down to the quarterback difference. I I echo what Andrew said. Um, I think that uh, uh, the the, uh, uh, 49ers are going to have a whole lot of problems with Patrick Mahomes. I think he's going to kick it into another gear. And they're just not going to have an answer for that. And um, um, yeah, I, I think that that is going to be the... The, the difference in that game. And, um, um, and again, uh, uh, just echoing what Andrew said, I, I, I just, I don't know, I haven't quite seen the level of, of uh, <laughs> play from, from Garoppolo that I think is going to uh, uh, carry over into a Super Bowl. So. I think, and, and I don't want to either, so that's, I know that's coloring my opinion on him. <laughs> I uh, I think Patrick Mahomes is great. In fact, Andrew and I had a conversation earlier this season about if we were picking teams to play a game, who you would pick first. And when I said, of all the players in the NFL, I would pick Patrick Mahomes first, he basically told me I was an idiot and that he was going to pick Russell Wilson and he was going to kick our butts. But I think if there was one quarterback in the league right now that I might put a notch above Russ, it's Mahomes. And I said might. Okay, so Andrew's glaring at me so hard right now. I'm just waiting for your argument. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to make a really strong argument on it because I think pretty much everything that Mahomes can do, Russ can do, except I believe Mahomes is a little bit better at, and this is a marginal thing, I think he's a little bit better at making the most difficult throws. And I think... He's a little bit better at throwing with different arm angles, and you're looking at me like no. no I'm, I'm actually interested. I I wouldn't have thought. I yeah. I would think that the biggest thing is that Mahomes is younger. And yeah, no, I, I think he's faster. He might be faster now. He's not faster than Russ was when Russ came right. into the league. But we're talking about right now. Yeah, I think uh, Russ is a magician in the pocket, and if I was going to rank those two guys about who has better escapability in the pocket, I'd go with Russ. Hmm. But I think Mahomes is just a better thrower. And uh, it's not by a lot, but it's by a little. And I think he's amazing, and all I've heard all week is uh, analyst after analyst and radio guy after radio guy say that they think the Chiefs are going to win the game and that when two teams that you feel pretty evenly about, you look at the quarterbacks and you say which quarterback is better and you pick that team. I am going to pick the 49ers because of the way that I've seen teams be completely overwhelmed by their defense and their offensive line. They win games at the line of scrimmage. And I have a really difficult time picturing the Chiefs' defense shutting down that 49ers' run game in a way that's going to 
prevent the 49ers from from flowing offensively. I think Garoppolo will make plays when needed, and they won't ask too much of him. And the 49ers, already we've seen the Chiefs' propensity for getting down big early in games. And I really don't think if they go down by double digits against the Niners' defense at the beginning of this game, they're going to come back. And I don't think they've seen anything through this playoff run that rivals what the 49ers can do on defense. So I I really strongly believe when I saw that the Chiefs were favored, I was actually a little surprised. I thought the 49ers were going to come out and be favorites in the game. And I think maybe they're not getting the level of respect that they deserve, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But if you go back and look through Super Bowl history, whenever you have a dynamic offense go up against a dynamic defense in the Super Bowl, most of the time, the dynamic defensive team comes out on top. Um, I mean, it was true. Isn't aren't the Chiefs more than just a dynamic offense though? Like it seems like their defense has been like they their were defense terrible, stepped up and was better but... towards the end of the season. But I think the prevailing thought is they're still kind of a middle of the pack defense. Okay. At least if I'm if I'm reading things correctly, that they've stepped up and done what they needed to when they needed to. But in general, nobody regards their defense as top-notch. And many regard the 49ers' defense as the best, at least the best in the NFC, maybe the best in the league, um, you know, as perhaps only Baltimore towards the end of the year being better. Um, And the Chiefs even aren't, you know, they've had, they spent a good portion of the season either without Mahomes or without a healthy Mahomes. But their defense, they're, they're not the number one offense in the league. They're ranked like ninth or something like that. So I think most people believe when Mahomes is healthy and good that they're the best offense in the league. And many people believe that the 49ers are the best defense in the league. And if you have those two teams going up against each other, often in Super Bowl history, the defensive team prevails. So I'm going to go after that long, long, long rant. I'm going to say 24 to 17 49ers. And I'm thinking that I know that 17 points for the Chiefs seems really low, but I think that's how disruptive number 1 that's how disruptive the 49ers front 7 is going to be. And number 2, that's how well the 49ers are going to control the ball with their run game and by winning at the line of scrimmage. So, what do you think it is about the Chiefs' offense that is so much worse than the Seahawks' offense that they won't be able to score really well against the 49ers late in the game. I feel like I'm not even I'm not even asking a super I, pointed question. I'm just because we were talking about how similar Mahomes and and yeah. Wilson are, and it seems it's like we we both felt really confident that we would be able to beat the 49ers. That the Seahawks would be able to beat the 49ers. <laughs> you keep they, saying that. I know. Sean, uh, Sean, I don't know if you listened to last week's show. We <laughs> talked about when it was acceptable to say we when you're referring to a team that you root for. And we agreed that it's basically never unless it's a college that you went to. Yeah, college that you went to. And, yeah. and but we also said that we we do it sometimes. And, yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I'm still gonna I'm still yes, gonna and, and I and I feel <laughs> self-conscious about it too. So uh but anyway, so us as fans felt pretty confident that we'd be able to beat the Seahawks if we got an, another rematch with them or sorry beat, beat the, the 49ers, 49ers. Yeah. so and and I our offense I, was very injured and probably not nearly as good as Kansas City's offense I think I think what I felt like was 
man, we have a better chance against the 49ers than the Packers do. And that we could give them a game. I don't know that at any point I felt like we would be... I said I did it. I said we. I didn't know that at any point I felt like if the Seahawks go play the 49ers, they're going to win. But I felt like, yeah, the Seahawks have a really good chance to make that a good game. Okay, well, because I, I felt like we should but like the Seahawks should win because we want we beat them at their house and then yeah. we lost to them at the in a, yeah. a very very close game at, at our home which the Seahawks had been playing terrible at home all year yeah so and it is a little I, tough to take too much out of those matchups too because Russell is the one thing in those matchups that was amazing but when the Seahawks beat the 49ers they I mean, didn't have. They lost several times in that game, also. I yeah, realized. but they didn't have they didn't have Kittle in that game, and also Emmanuel Sanders went out like almost immediately. Um, so I feel like it's hard. I know that the Seahawks have been injured all year, and that really wasn't going to change that much towards the end, and they were still going to be injured when they went into play. Well, and our defense was worse than Kansas City's defense. Yeah, although not by a Is ton. It? Yeah, uh, Kansas City's defense was uh, 14th in uh, DVOA and we were 18th or Seahawks were 18th mm-hmm. man just rolling it up <laughs> uh so i'm i'm just i'm i liked your argument yeah but i still feel like it, i'm just not convinced because i feel like we've seen the teams that or the, our team has successfully scored on the San Francisco defense and the the Chiefs should be better at doing the things that we do well. That makes sense. I completely understand that argument. I think what we're seeing right now from the 49ers is something different from what they were doing in the regular season. I think the way they have disposed of opponents most recently is pretty... I feel like it's pretty dominating. Like I said, the, the reason I feel like this is their game is because they win in the trenches. And I think they're going to number one, they're going to, they're going to be able to get into the backfield and give Mahomes some trouble. And he's going to make some great plays, but I also feel like the 49ers will control the ball and keep it out of Mahomes' hands pretty well because I think their great offensive line and great running scheme has made average running backs look great. I mean, most hurts been cut by, Seven teams, yeah. And now he's coming in rushing for two hundred yards in a playoff game. I think the Against way the that Packers, the, yeah. But the, and, that, and you know, notably their <laughs> run defense is not good. But before. I think the way that their scheme works and the way that their offensive line is so dominating is going to help them run clock. And we're seeing them do it now at a higher level than they've done it most of the season. So that's generally why I feel the way I feel is just because of how dominant they've been of late. Well, I hope you're wrong. Me and too. <laughs> but see, we've talked about this before. We can agree I, about that. I continuously set myself up for win-win situations. Out of pain. <laughs> so if the Chiefs win, I'll be happy. If the 49ers win, I'll be right, which will make me happy. So I just try to continuously make myself feel good about myself. Smart. And One thing it, I am not looking forward to if the 49ers win is... Richard Sherman tweets after the Super Bowl. <laughs> I find him incredibly entertaining. Oh, I, oh, I will I, love it, and I will eat up every moment. I I don't dislike Richard Sherman, but uh, uh, it's just when he is tweeting his 
just self-aggrandizing, <laughs> constant uh, uh, promotional tweet, self-promotion tweets. Beefy when whip. he's not on the your team, it's yeah. really annoying. But uh, um, yeah. Well, this is another thing that we t- we talked about last week because of the twargument between Darrell Revis and Richard Sherman. But I always had felt <laughs> like when Richard what? Sherman was a Seahawk, I had said. If he wasn't on our team, I would hate him. But I really don't. Like, I generally wish well for him, and I want to see him do well. Because I think football is more entertaining when he's relevant and running his mouth. I want him to be relevant, but I want him to be relevant failing. (laughs) Like, I I absolutely, don't get me wrong. You were doing backflips when he got burned by Devontae Adams. Oh, yes. It was awesome. (laughs) He's an an amazing player. I think he's... Really, really good. Right. I will be super excited when he comes back and has his his jersey retired at, or his number retired at, in Seattle. But while he's on another team, I am rooting against him so hard. That's exactly the place that I'm in. I like. I'm not rooting against uh, against him personally, but it is really annoying. I just reading his his constant need to to oh i love it. I, it's like i hope tyreek hill runs double moves for touchdowns double moves plural for touchdowns plural yeah it'd be amazing well i think we all agreed richard sherman against tyreek hill in a one-on-one matchup is not <laughs> gonna be pretty but that's why they run his own scheme <laughs> And hopefully Hill doesn't have enough time to cut four times. <laughs> and the and the 49ers, uh, well, I just, this is, and when I say hopefully, I meant this means I'm right. Yeah. But also if it doesn't happen, then hey, the Chiefs win. Yeah. I feel good about that. Go KC. So <laughs> the other, uh, there's just a couple of uh, really quick NBA topics I wanted to touch on, and we'll just spend maybe a minute or two talking about these. Damian Lillard, 61-point game this past week and the i know that there's this whole dialogue That's a player for the blazers right yes he okay. is the best player dame time <laughs> dame dalla for the portland trail blazers um there is east coast bias is a is it is a real thing but it is the thing that i think pacific northwest fans blow out of proportion perhaps more than any other major national issue when it comes to sports like people think it's bigger than it is but also east coast media people are sensitive to that and they will get i listened to uh the the day after this happened i listened to the dan levitard show the dan patrick show the rich eisen show i listened to jalen and jacoby Uh, i i think i had four five or six different i watched around the horn and pti every single one of those shows mentioned damian lillard's 60 point game and every single one of them said, you know, not a lot of people pay attention to this guy, but... It's because they recognize the and bias. They, they and recognize they would say that most of their audience like, isn't paying attention. And they would say things like, well, most other people aren't going to be talking about this today, but Damian Lillard scored 61 points, and then everyone talked about it. No, although the guys that you were listening to talked about it. The people on the East Coast weren't talking about those it. Pe- yeah, those shows are all on the East Coast. Actually, Justin, Rich Eisen's in Justin, LA. I take I, for... East Coast bias, I would be with you saying that it's blown out of proportion, except that Mike Salk on 710 is from the East Coast. Right. He's, he's from the Northeast. Connecticut. He was, he was in media in Boston, and 
when so when I when he start when he comes here and spends a decade color, covering the Seahawks and he's talking about like why is this not talked about? I believe him. Like if the stuff were happening somewhere else, it would be a different level of conversation. I just found it humorous, and I do <laughs> in general. Honestly, I feel like East Coast bias is real, but people here think that it's more than it is. But I found it really interesting that every show that I listened to all day that day was saying, you know, nobody else is going to talk about this because he plays in Portland, but Damian Lillard scored 61 points. And it was all the same. They all talked about and see, it. I think it's because you're also, listening to national shows that are aware of the bias and are correcting it. So true. when they I'm say nobody shows. else is talking about this, yeah. they're saying you're not going to hear this on your local radio because yeah. he's playing in Portland. Well, Damian Lillard who is definitely one of my favorite players. I think he's both of my kids' favorite player. We went and watched him play at Moda Center a couple weekends ago. Um, The dude is absolutely incredible. And he is on a very short list of guys who have had multiple 60-point games. I want to say it's like maybe eight players or so. And he is the only player in NBA history that's six foot two or shorter that has multiple 60-point games. If you watched the and I, Sean, are you an NBA fan or did you give up on him when the Sonics moved? That is correct. That's the general sentiment of this area. So <laughs> I'm so alone. I I have not <laughs> I I have not watched an entire NBA game since the Sonics left. Okay. And so do you know Dame Lillard? Oh yeah, I I, I keep I keep up. I know Dame Lillard. I know uh, Portland, and I have I have entertained the. The idea of wading back into the NBA uh, 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 arena and um, uh, of NBA fandom, and uh, I, and if I picked a team, I, I'm very geographically loyal, and so if I picked a team, it would probably be the Trailblazers. But since they were the the rival of the Sonics, it just feels so dirty to root for. The Trailblazers and 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 a couple of years ago when I thought about like okay I, I might start becoming a fan of, of basketball again even though the city of Seattle was absolutely jobbed by the NBA and the commissioner R.I.P. to uh, Mr. Uh, Stern who passed away a couple of days ago um, maybe a week or so a week or so ago yeah. but uh, um, I, I really thought that uh, that Golden State was super fun. This was a few years ago, and, and that uh, Golden State was really fun, and that I would they like were. to, yeah, and that, that that would, if I were going to follow a team, that's the next closest team, and they were really fun, and I thought that they were going to be really good, which uh, turned out to be an accurate prediction. But uh, You're such a um, front runner. <laughs> well, no, but it was before, it was before they were really good. It was before they were winning titles. And then they started to win titles, and I hadn't made the jump, and so I couldn't go then because then I would have looked like a front runner at yeah. that point. It's like, oh, everyone wants Just to be. Don't a worry about the perception. And so, Just, and cheer, so follow your heart. And your family. Well, it, it was <laughs> it was more of a conscious decision. It wasn't a, a heart decision because my heart says that the NBA is still an evil, evil organization that should not receive one dime of my money. So. Until until they make it right and that's put a team back in Seattle, um, it is run by charlatans and uh, and, and is and that people just, from Charlotte? Uh, no, no. Um, <laughs> people and, and named so, Charlotte. 
but I, I have had to like like think about this again because you know I I, I lead an organization called Young Life out in out in Montana and kids like if you're a teenager it's all about the NBA I think the NBA is bigger I mean it's definitely bigger than baseball I've it, been it, saying this and and it's and Nobody it's bigger than to and me. it's bigger than the NFL. Um, I, I think it uh, is globally. Um, yeah, and and uh, um, yeah, and and so just to to be to be relevant and and, and conversational, um, you know, it had to brush back up on on NBA stuff. Um, uh, yeah, and so I mean, it. I, I enjoy it. I'm still just. I, I was a huge Sonics fan. I mean, I, I went to Sonics games and 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 growing up. I mean, the Seahawks were really third out of or fourth. I mean, it was like it was like UW Husky football, Sonics, Mariners, and then where did the Rainiers the, fit in there? Uh, Tacoma Rainiers. Ahead I mean, of Seahawks. although back then they were the uh, the the Tacoma Tigers and they oh. were the AAA team for the Oakland I didn't Athletics. Even know that. And so. Um, yeah, I re- I'm glad I, I'm, it's the Rainiers. Yeah, yeah, no, the Rainiers are cool, but it was the Tigers. And I remember when like Mark McGuire and uh, Jose Canseco and Carney Lansford would do like rehab stints in Tacoma. I mean, it was a big deal. So there was a lot of Oakland Athletics fans around. But um, but yeah, it's still really really difficult for me. The bitterness of the NBA ripping a team, the the oldest professional sports franchise for the 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 state of Washington, the city of Seattle, just ripping it out and giving it to Yahoo's in Oklahoma. I mean, yeah, the fact that Oklahoma City has a basketball team and Seattle doesn't is absolutely ridiculous. It is ridiculous on a lot of he levels says because with a Starbucks cup. Trainer. It is ridiculous Sorry. though because no, I get it. I get it. Seattle and surrounding suburbs is like the 12th largest market in the United States or yeah. something. So if there's 30 NBA teams and also and Oklahoma City is like 40. Washington is a ba- like it's a kind of a basketball state. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a big deal. And as you know, I've been trying to explain to Daniel and Andrew, the old guys in the room, that the last few weeks that like this is j- kids love basketball. They do. And the way kids consume sports is not the way you old grandpas consume sports. That's like right. they don't the NBA and and I I didn't move here till I was 13. I didn't move here until 1999, so it didn't rip my heart out when the Sonics got moved away because I hadn't developed a Sonic fanhood yet. Mm-hmm. But the way that I consume basketball is the way that young people consume basketball, which is they might have a favorite team. Mostly they just like players. Right. They root for their favorite players, then they root for whatever team that that and player the, goes to. The NBA is incredibly adept at social media and, yeah. and telling the story and, and creating these almost like soap opera uh, uh, situations. I mean, it, it, they're really, really good at that, which is uh, um, also just maybe... Uh, <laughs> I mean, they are also the, the league that has had... Uh, officials have to be fired for fixing games, or one, just aren't one fired. Official. One official, <laughs> or just still, still officiating. 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 Uh, Justin, I Daniel, took a shot at Andrew. Daniel and, now he's gonna and I, Daniel and I, don't. Are, we're not saying you're wrong. We're saying that it is wrong. We're I disagree. That, we're saying that there's no wrong. We're way. concerned because yeah. the younger generation is consuming a sport in the wrong way. I think that's silly uh, because no. you <laughs> sound <laughs> like you sound like a baby boomer right, right now. Right. You sound okay, like boomer. something. My way is the only right. way. You yeah. root like me, or you can't root at you all. Know, I walked uphill both ways in the snow to school. Right. And I loved it. 
and get off my lawn. So exactly. So going out to just the, the way that the NBA has marketed itself and how it's so huge with 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 folks that are that are younger than us and and. Uh, um, when, uh, uh, like I said, I, I lead Young Life out, out in uh, Montesano, but uh, um, when we go to went to Young Life camp this summer, and, and I really had that revelation when they had Jersey Day at, and so, and ninety percent of the jerseys that were being worn by kids, and these are kids from all over the Northwest, and and they were all NBA players. It, it was it was so much NBA it it was uh it was i mean they are doing the the NBA is doing a remarkable job of marketing and and just positioning themselves for the next to be the next yeah. like like i'm not saying that they're not a big thing now but the next like really you know a juggernaut in yeah, sports which is and, my general point has been like people are looking for ways to fix baseball. Yeah, baseball needs to be fixed fixed because younger people are not watching it. Like it needs to yeah. changes need to be made. I, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you what the changes should be. But young people like to play baseball. They think baseball's boring to watch. Yeah. But basketball doesn't have a problem that needs to be fixed. Basketball is working the way that it is. And right. people here are so bitter about the Sonics leaving that people hate the NBA. But now you have a new generation of fans who hasn't had their heart ripped out. They right. don't care. They love basketball. Right. The NBA is awesome because you get to see the personalities of the guys more than you do in any other sport. And they become relatable. And, you know, especially with a guy like Steph Curry, you were talking about the Warriors and how much you loved him. Like, yeah, you can watch guys like LeBron James. And no kid that I know is ever going to be able to grow up and do what LeBron James does because he's six foot eight, 245 pounds of solid muscle and a freak athlete. But kids watch Steph Curry. He's a skinny little six, three guy who just moves yeah. really well and shoots threes. And I think kids watched and thought, if I practice hard, I can do that someday. Right. So, and to me personally, that's where, where we started with this conversation was the Damian Lillard 61 point game. You know, Dame is six foot two, He's breaking the boundaries of what a six foot two and under guy can accomplish in the league. And he's doing it by shooting balls from one step in front of half court. In the game, in the night that he scored 61 points earlier this <laughs> week, he literally had a shot where he took one dribble over half court and pulled up from about 10 feet behind the three point line and drilled it. Like wow. this guy has no fear about where he shoots from. If he's open, he's going to hoist it. Yeah, and on the uh, in some of these games recently, he's been without C.J. McCollum. The the Trailblazers, much like the Seahawks were this year, they've just been decimated by injury. They've had multiple big guys that have been out basically all year, injury after injury. They lost Nurkic last year, and he's been out all this year. They lost Zach Collins. They lost Rodney Hood. There's just been injury after injury after injury. Then C.J. McCollum was out for a couple of games with, I think I think it was the flu or something. And that it was like Dame just said, okay, it's me. He scores 61. He scores 47. Like, the guy is going out there just doing what no short quote-unquote six foot two guy has ever been able to accomplish in nba history and to right. me that's staggering that is really cool no it, it he's also a really cool guy yeah yeah he seems like like lillard seems like a really cool dude and like i said if if i didn't have that sonics like hiccup i would probably like dive in and be a trailblazers fan but the yeah. other thing is is i'm anticipating seattle getting a team in the next 
you know, uh, hopefully five years, but uh, it might be a little longer than well, that. Well, five years ago, we thought they'd get a team in the next well, five Well, but we have, we actually have a new arena as the thing. I mean, the, it's, it's a hockey it, arena, it, though. It, yeah, but it's built for <laughs> NBA as well. Andrew and, doesn't want basketball. He just wants hockey. Yeah, the, the Seattle hockey team is going to be a lot of fun. And I will become an NHL fan. There's no question about that. But, uh, but I can't, like give myself to the Portland Trailblazers only to hate them again when Seattle gets a team. See, this is the problem. Stop rooting for teams. Pick players that you like and no, root for players that's... because it's so much easier to abandon them when a better thing comes along. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also not nearly as satisfying when they win. Like, when the Mariners win, first of all, I will be I will be in tears. Like, like when the Mariners finally win a World Series, I will absolutely uh, i'll probably lose it but it will be so much more satisfying than Shut being up. a fly by night uh, you know i'm telling fan. you this because you're my friend and i care about you <laughs> they are going to win Mariners a world series are never going they to are, win a world series they are going to win a world series they will win a world series when we're all dead 20 <laughs> golly 2022 is 2021 22 23 i think they're going to have an amazing window but, <sighs> You're and you're going to be so excited too, Justin. You know what's going to happen? Because you're going to jump right on the bandwagon. <laughs> it's going to be just like <laughs> when the Seahawks became really good. Because right after I moved here, I resisted the Seahawks for a long time. And then they became really good. And we were doing this radio show. And I knew all the guys. And I became really invested. And it kind of snuck up on me. But do you think that I didn't feel just as excited when they won the Super Bowl as I would have otherwise? Yes. I, I, I did. I celebrated with the community. I was all in it. I don't think you were as excited as the rest of the folks that lived and died with them, though. I don't think, like... The, the 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 thrill of being a bandwagon fan when they win is not the thrill of well, growing up with a team and being loyal to a team. I've yeah. never so th- you, well, of you're course probably I'm probably at least partially right on this. Probably because cause you've never experienced being that. <laughs> I've never <laughs> experienced being a loyal fan of anything for my entire life, Except- with one exception. <laughs> That I've been a Tar Heels basketball fan since I was a kid, (laughs) and they've brought me multiple championships, so I don't know the heartbreak of watching a team be irrelevant. Okay, so I'm going to say I'm really downplaying uh, my Mariners fanhood. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Mariners is the... I was doing a bit. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The Mariners is actually a team that, before I even moved here, I was a fan of because of 1995. Yeah. I was I was ten years old at that point. That was fun. But I had a video game that I used the Mariners and they kicked butt. <laughs> and it was that '95 team and watching them go through everything. So it's to the point where I don't want to admit this on the radio. When I hear the radio call of Griffey rounding third, I tear up a little bit oh. because that was so that was such a great moment and I. I'm just as much of a Mariners fan all the time, but in a time like now, my attention level drops off very significantly. I, I know we're going back to the Mariners here after already doing that, but I the greatest tragedy in sports, it, I mean, it, in my lifetime, not just Seattle sports, but the Seattle Mariners had four Hall of Famers on that team and four, not just Hall of Famers, but but four of the greatest players of all time in Ken Griffey Jr., Alex Rodriguez, Edgar Martinez, Randy Johnson. 
and they didn't win a World Series. And then not only that, but but then you, you but A Rod wasn't really A Rod. Nineteen ninety six, A Rod was robbed of an American League MVP. He had his best year ever in nineteen ninety six. But ninety five. But that whole, but that team in 95, 96, 97, 98, okay. they they had these incredible teams, and then that's not even counting Jay Buhner. I mean, they had Jay Buhner. They had who Didn't was they have a, Tino Martinez. A, a Tino Martinez. Yeah. They had and Jay Buhner was a forty-five home run, hundred and twenty yeah. RBI guy, and, and and they the fact that they could not put together a pitching staff to win yeah. a, a a world, let alone I mean. There's so many variables in winning a World Series, but but that team was just stacked so with which is, all-time greats. Of these two, which is more ridiculous to you? The fact that that window, let's let's call it a window of three years from 96 to 99. Is that about the yeah, that, that Yeah, team? that was a pretty what, amazing Is it window. more ridiculous that that team couldn't even get to a World Series, or is it more ridiculous that a 116 win team couldn't even get to the world series. that's that's an interesting question and and that brings up the the, the broader top because that team had pitchers oh, too. that that team was incredible and you know what the funny thing is and they had is, a reuter on that is team. is <laughs> alex uh, brett boone yeah yeah um alex rodriguez when he went to the texas rangers he was everyone thought he was being disingenuous when they when he said this team, talking about the Mariners, is going to win 110 games. I mean, people are like, oh, yeah, whatever, Alex. Yeah, go take your $200 million and get out of town. And he did. But And he did. <laughs> and he was also right that that was an incredible team. Yeah. But, it, it, yeah, it probably is more ridiculous that that team didn't at least get to the World Series. But you had the whole September 11th thing that happened in the middle of, of September for them. Yeah. And, and, and that just kind of derailed everything. And then... All of a sudden, the entire, not just the momentum, but the it was almost like a, a case of national will, willing the New York Yankees into the World Series. And, and so, I mean, you, you have that. But, uh, Stupid Yankees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, who do you hate more, the New York Yankees or the New England Patriots? The Oregon Ducks. Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> all right, so we're going to move on. We're going to move on. This has been really fun. I've actually really enjoyed all the baseball we've got to talk today. Um, but we're going to move Daniel's on. Daniel's going to be so mad. Or he's going to be. <laughs> no, because Daniel's going to listen to the show and he's going to enjoy it. And then I'm going to refuse to talk baseball for the next one. Um, we're going to move on to local sports now. And our Oli Penn Real Estate Athlete of the Week. But first, let me tell you. If you're looking to buy a home in the Grays Harbor, Pacific County area, no one will take care of you better than the team of realtors at Oli Penn Real Estate. With Oli Penn, it's personal. So our Oli Penn Real Estate Athlete of the Week this week comes from Montesano Boys Basketball. It is Carter Olson. Congratulations, Carter. Olson scored 20 points against Toquiam on Friday, including hitting three three-pointers during the third quarter when the Bulldogs went on a 29-12 run, and that was really when they put the game away. So, Carter Olson, and this is actually, we've been talking about this for a few weeks. This Monty Boys basketball team has been incredible. They've been overperforming our expectations. They've lost two of the guys, one to injury and one is just not playing, that we thought was going to help be the anchors of this team. Including a guy that I would say you could argue is their best would have been their best player, Sam Winter, who's out with a knee. Um, but... They've overperformed everything, and somehow we keep giving the athlete of the week to a different kid from a different school, a different <laughs> team, every single week because 
their scoring is so balanced. They had a big game that they won where they had six guys who scored six points or more last week, and their leading scorer had ten. Like they've been they're such an incredibly well coached, balanced basketball team that we haven't had an opportunity to really give an athlete of the week to one of these guys. But Carter Olson this week, not only for the 20 points, but for hitting those three threes during that big third quarter run. Carter Olson, you deserve it, Athlete of the Week. Um, and we're going to go into a little bit of local sports. So let's start with that Monty Boys team who defeated Elma 60-48 to on Wednesday. And then Hoquiam was the game we just mentioned where Olson scored 20 points. They beat Hoquiam 71-42 to on Friday based on that big third quarter run. Wow. Uh, Carter Olson had 20 points in that game. Cole Daniels had 12 and Braden Dorman had 11. So those were your three leading scorers. And we actually, uh, Daniel was on the broadcast for that game and we've got some clips of the run in the third quarter. So this was six three pointers that three of them were from Olson and three of them were from other guys. We're going to go ahead and just play all six of those clips all the way through. They work it around to Olson. Wants another three, knocks it down. And that is Carter Olson's third three on the night. 39-28. Olson wants the transition triple, and he answers right back. Carter Olson checks it right back to the 14-point lead. Olson left open on the three, decides not to take it. Now that after the dribble, he knocks it down as Carter Olson with his fifth three on the night. To Dorman, no look pass to Bjornsgaard. Three on the way, he sends it down. Braden Dorman with the excellent extra pass there, finding the more open Bjornsgaard who knocks down the triple. Daniels wants a three. Cole Daniels knocks it down, and he's loving it as the Bulldogs having themselves a quarter here in the third. Kick it out to Daniels, over to Dorman, steps into the three, and he knocks it down. The Montesano Bulldogs are on fire from the outside here in the third quarter as Braden Dorman just knocked down their 6-3 in the quarter with 41 seconds left to give them the 55-34 lead. So that was six three-pointers in the third quarter for Montesano Boys Basketball. Started by Carter Olson, we had one for Wesley Bjornsgaard, and then one for Cole Daniels, and then punctuated by that three-pointer by Braden Dorman. Now, before we move on to the next game, I want to tell you, this is a special announcement. We have really awesome, we've had Sean join us this week. Next week, we have two special co-hosts coming in from this Montesano boys team. We're going to have Braden Dorman and Sam Winter right here in studio to uh, do the show with us. And we are super excited about that. We'll have lots of chance to talk to talk about their team and what's upcoming and what the playoff outlook is. But right now this Montesano boys team is undefeated in league play. Absolutely in the driver's seat to win the league title going into districts. Um, around the rest of the league, we had Elma boys improving to eight and eight on the season with a 65 to 32 win over Mossy rock on Friday. Brady Johnston, 16 points in that game. Nick Church, 12. Montesano girls also had a good week. They took down Elma on Tuesday, getting 14 points each from Zoe Hutchings and McKinley Dalen. Um, And then they also went on on Friday to beat Hoquiam 51-19. So I don't know how many times you've seen a girls' high school basketball game where someone gets held under, a team gets held under 20 points. That requires suffocating defense. Yeah. 
So to win a game 51-19 against Hoquiam like that powers the Montesano girls to a 5-0 league record. Now, they are also in the driver's seat based on this Elma win. They're in the driver's seat to win their league. Elma's only league loss so far is this loss to Montesano, and that Elma team is really good, and they will face each other again in the last game of the regular season. So Elma will have a chance to come back to Montesano in Montesano and try to take down the Bulldogs to get a share of the league title there. Really interested to see what happens in that one. Um, I also want to mention a little bit about the Aberdeen Bobcat boys. Now, part of this, I'm going to mention what happened in their games this week, but I uh, have a... Uh, uh, their coach, their head coach, Mark Buckman, is a friend of mine, and I see him fairly regularly uh, on the weekdays. And I popped by his office the other day, and he said, "Hey, come here, I got to show you this video." And he shows me a video of one of his players, Wyatt Johnson, getting an alley oop dunk in a win over Rochester on Thursday. Now I don't know. I talked about just said a minute ago. I don't know how often you see 19 points scored in a game like that, and that suffocating defense. I don't think I've ever seen an alley-oop dunk in any of our local basketball games. And I've watched a lot. Have you ever seen an alley-oop dunk in a high school basketball game? Like, save for, like, if you go to the bigger cities and watch, you know, Rainier play or something like that. I think maybe when Oma Givens was playing for Aberdeen when I was in uh, high school. I mean, yeah, that that was a whole other other level of, of basketball. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, as far as just the 1A, 2A level and what we're dealing with here, Wyatt Johnson is a kid that Daniel and I have been talking a lot about um, over the last few weeks just with his athletic ability. The kid absolutely has hops. He can jump out of the gym. Um, I was also told that he had a couple of other kind of dunks in that game, but they weren't really clean. But that alley-oop dunk, I can tell you because I saw the video of it, was awesome. Um, and that was in a that's 60. Awesome. Yeah, it was yeah, so great. No, that's, I, I'd like to see that video. That was on Thursday in a 60 to 35 win over Rochester. Uh, Johnson led the team with 19 points in that game. Also, Jaden Watson had 17, and Gio Pisani, who was last week's athlete of the week, had nine. Um, Jaden Watson, the kid who scored 17 points, is uh, he missed the first part of the season because he was injured. When he came in, he has an immediate impact in the paint. You know, he gets in there, he grinds, he gets rebounds, he can score in the paint. He's a very, very adept scorer as well. Um, they did, the Bobcats did lose a couple of games this week. They went and played Olympic on Saturday and they lost 56 to 63, but that was without Jaden Watson. And they also didn't have Nick Farrer in that game. So those are two of their main inside presence guys. And they do have other athletic guys and other guys that can help control the paint. But basically, you know, those are two really important players for you. They didn't have those guys. They struggled on the boards, and they still only lost by a narrow margin there. Uh, But Wyatt Johnson followed up his Rochester 19-point performance with 26 points in that Olympic game. And Gio Pisani had 19 points as well. So that's going to do it for our local sports roundup. I know we'll have more. I will be broadcasting. Daniel's still uh, off on off gallivanting on vacation here. So um, usually he broadcasts the games, but I will be filling in for him this week. I'll be at the bow broadcasting the Montesano boys hosting to Nino on Tuesday night. So if you can't make it to that game, tune into 1490 KWOK. And uh, you can listen to that tip off is at 7. Pre-game will cool. probably start about 640 or 645. Um now going into, before we go into our mailbag, we have a little 
interview that we're going to play. Daniel caught up with a friend of his that played for the Grays Harbor Bearcats. And for those of you who don't know, the Grays Harbor Bearcats is a semi-pro football team that used to be here. Um, Daniel and Andrew both played for the Bearcats for a while. Um, and this was a guy that Daniel played with. And there's a team in Olympia called the Mayhem that he's playing for that he is hoping he can recruit some people to play with him. So uh, we're going to go ahead and play that interview right now. I'm here with Deshaun Benjamin, and you're coming in to talk about the Thurston County Mayhem, and you guys are getting ready to start up your season now. For people who don't know, this is they played in the same league, I believe, as uh, the Grace Harbor Bearcats. Uh, yep, that's correct. And we both played on that team. Yes, together. we did. Go Bearcats. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, but sadly, we don't have a team around here anymore. Right, right. But this is the next closest, and it's yes. up in Thurston County. Right, Olympia Lacey area. It's a good program. A lot of you know, a lot of good people out there. A lot of people know about them from playing out here, of course, like we do. Our organization, the owner, is uh, James King, and uh, he's a really good guy, a player's coach. I like to call him. He uh, always wants new faces, so I'm just trying to you know get us on the air, talk to you, and see what we can do. For sure. And there's some other guys from around this area. I mean, right. you live around here, but also there's some other players that we used to play with who are playing up there too. So it's it's not just like there's you can only play for them if you're up in Olympia. No, right. You can play for them if you. Uh, Ocean Shores or all the way up. Some people play from Tacoma or even farther than that, Vancouver area. Just as long as, you know, you want to play, you come support and be with us. And no matter where you're from, your family. And coming up, you guys have practices, OTAs, whatever you want to call it, coming up. And that's on Saturday at 1230. Yes. And 1230 to 330. Or 230, sorry. 1230 to 230. And where's that going to be at? Revis Middle School in Olympia. And when you're talking about this team... How how is the team last year? Like, how, are you looking for new players because you need some new talent in there, or is it a pretty good squad already and just tr- trying to add some depth? And some uh, we got a pretty good squad already. We're just trying to add on, you know, to the core guys, and it's always good to have new faces on your squad. And uh, last year we did pretty good. Uh, we were two games away from the ship. You know, we're trying to add on that, build more, and get more guys to come along younger. If you're 18, you know, out of high school or around here, and you want to play, come play, come ball out. Yeah, because I know a lot of kids, when they get done with playing high school football, not too many of us have the opportunity to go play for college. Right. But this is another way. Like, even if you're attending classes somewhere, if you're not, you just have a job, you still like to play football, this is a good opportunity for you. Right. It totally is. You know, if you want to continue your career out of high school, but, you know, you're not really going to the college route or you want to maybe practice and then maybe join a junior college this is the right way to go you know get your momentum down and get your you know adrenaline going and still fun it's not like high school a little little more faster a little more hard hitting but it's still football that's something that i noticed about it is the pace is a lot faster and it's for me it was a learning experience right yeah me too and you you learn a lot about the game especially with some of the coaches that we've been around you learn a lot more that you might not get out of the one system you were playing in high school so if you're like you said if you want to try and play at a school somewhere else this could be a good opportunity to put some film up as well right and why we were trying to get a lot of younger guys is the rules are high school rules so you know one foot you know they changed the uh legal hitting as well so it is like high school too they really big on that and we're just trying to get a lot of younger guys so that it keeps going going because a couple of teams are folding like you know as well we were part of one so i'm just trying to keep the vibe going keep the young guys keep flowing and have them recruit you know and keep it keep it flowing until the end of time basically <laughs> yeah i mean especially because like the when we were playing for the bearcats you could definitely see that the older generation was starting to go out and we didn't 
really right. have enough young people to continue it on. And yet it's so much fun and it's such a blast to play that you want to see that kind of base that you've built and, and the fun that you were able to have. You want to see other people be able to have that fun. And the young kids is where you have to go for it. Right. You got to start with the young ones. A lot of our guys are a lot older and they have a lot of coaching experience as well. So a lot of younger guys, they'll see, you know, they'll help. You know, I'm 24, but I still get help all the time from coaches or even players. It's always good to get background from other people and it's a good experience and you know give them some feedback too so one of the guys that you're playing with that's playing up there that we used to play with is uh don orton who was a part owner of the bearcats as well and he's now a coach for high school i believe yes i think he coaches at timberline yeah so i mean you, you get so many different things to help you get better as a player by coming out and playing for this league and not only just playing against better competition too because there's some dudes out there i mean some of the guys that we play against are pretty damn good. Yeah, they're pretty they're pretty <laughs> damn good. Some some of them come from college to be honest with you and you know they still want to play after college but they're like I wait a couple years but they come in and they hit hard, you know. It's still football, it's not you know sissy stuff but when it comes to playing football everyone's ready to go. I remember when my first year we were playing a Portland team and I was looking around I was like, "Man, I kind of recognize some of these players and Start asking around, and some of the guys on our team were like, oh, yeah, well, they got six guys who played at Oregon State and three who played at Oregon and a bunch of dudes from Portland State. And I was like, oh, what did I get myself into? But, I mean, if you're coming up as a high school athlete or somebody who played before, what a great way to test your skills to think, you know, the level of competition. Now, not everybody's like that. I'm not saying right. that, you know, people are going to get destroyed by these Division One athletes all the time. Right. But every now and then you run up against them and – what a fun way to be like, yeah, I played against that guy. Yeah, and you can show what you're worth, you know. Absolutely. Show them what you're about. They can see what you're about. And it's all, you know, it's all fun. But everyone that knows, plays football or a big fan of football knows it's a very competition sport. And that's what I love about it. Now, what positions are you playing now? When we were playing together, I mean, with the last season we had, we kind of played everywhere that we had to. <laughs> right. But I remember you best as a linebacker. Is that still where you're kind of sitting right now? I was playing a little bit of D-line, uh, O-line. I was playing a uh, left guard. Uh, no, left guard, left tackle, and defensive line, all positions. But, yeah, linebacker is what I'm going to go for this year. Starting linebacker. I mean, starting linebacker. <laughs> and there's some, some other guys that we played with, too. And I know... Right. Uh, you mentioned Jordan Harrington yes. still playing as well. Yes, he is. And is he playing? He was playing corner with us a little bit. Is that still where he's at? Yeah, lockdown. Absolutely. I mean, that kid is. I mean, I guess we're not kids anymore, <laughs> but he's a stud. He acts like one. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> if you know Jordan, that absolutely makes sense. Yeah, and he's a Hoquiam alumni, so he played for Hoquiam, you know. So he was one of those guys that could have played for college, but, you know, didn't really, you know, get the chance to be able to do it, you know. But he's a family man, hardworking man, and. He's playing some semi-pro, and he's eating up there. And that's the other thing is, you know, everybody's got jobs. Right. How understanding are the coaches about, you know, say you have to miss a practice or something due to work? Like I said before, the owner is James King, and he's also the head coach, and he's also a hardworking man, and he's so understanding about working. Like, uh, last year, I couldn't get Saturdays off for practice, but I told him, like, I could try to get Saturdays off for games. He's like, you know, as long as you study and keep training and getting your stuff together, then that's fine with me. You know, but... 
you know, not making it like an everyday thing. If you can make it, you know, try to make it to practice. But if you have work, he's a very understandable guy. So games are on Saturdays as well, and I haven't paid too much attention to the league to know exactly where it is. Are we still are you still traveling as far away as Spokane, or they try and keep the games on the west um, side? Actually, the uh, they split the Spokane, the Rage. The, it used to be the Kitsap County I don't remember what they're called. Oh, Storm, sorry. Storm. Yeah, there it is. And uh, But they got moved into a different league. Uh, it's a little higher up with the South Sound Nighthawks. So they're all playing at a different league. But we're going to have like an eight to ten week schedule. So we're going to have a lot, of, like, a lot of people coming. There's a lot of new teams coming into the league. So it should be pretty exciting. When does the season actually start? It like, starts at the end of April. End of April yeah. and then goes through July. July? Yeah. Okay, so you're usually playing in some decent weather then. It gets yes. into this summer. And it's, like I said, it's an absolute blast. And you want to, if you are thinking of playing, though, you want to come out as soon as possible. Make sure you check out their Facebook page, which is Thurston County Mayhem. You should be able to find it on Facebook pretty easily. Is there anybody anywhere else that people can contact you, maybe? Uh, yeah, you can contact me on my Facebook page. It's Deshaun Benjamin. My profile picture is me sitting on the rocks looking with braids on, so that's me. <laughs> uh, message me if you have any questions or anything. You can even call message me on Facebook or whatever I have. If you have any questions, I'll answer I think one more question that I have is, do you guys like carpool up there? Yeah, we do. I car, uh, carpool with Jordan Harrington. And then sometimes we even uh, meet up with Jerry, who also we played with, and uh, we carpool with him as well. Or we all just meet in uh, Lacey. And that's the other best part about playing football is, I mean, for me, getting back into a team sport. Right. And football is the best team sport. I mean, I mean, in basketball, you can kind of, you know, you have a smaller team, and you go through a basketball game, and you, you're feeling pretty good, but... <laughs> There's just something about going to war in a football game with your guys. Yeah, I know. It's the, it's a whole different momentum. You just got to flip the switch, get a whole different beast out of you. And it's just fun, especially when you have a group of guys that's hungry as you and wanting to go get the ship. And so with that comes, you know, everybody's trying to help out too. So like right. you, I mean, you're like, yeah, we'll find a carpool. You want to answer questions, stuff like that. And yeah, it's just an awesome way. So it's the Thurston County Mayhem. They're starting up Saturdays. Check their Facebook page. And, yeah, it's a great opportunity to go play some ball. Yes, it is. Thank you. So that was Deshaun <laughs> Benjamin from the Mayhem. If you're interested in playing for the Mayhem, you can get a hold of them somehow and uh, play some football. <laughs> but since, since, I have, since we have Andrew here, and he is the one who has the semi-pro football playing experience, Andrew, can you – uh, did you have a good time when you played for the Bearcats? Was that a, something that you would do again if you had the chance to? Yeah, it, it was a blast. Uh, it's the amount of skill in the leagues varies a lot. Um, there's teams with we we played against teams with legitimate D1 starting athletes that were just a couple years out of their their college playing time. Uh, and then there was me who played rugby in college and didn't play football until I was playing for the Bearcats. And uh, it was there. So there's a really wide variety of, of talent and and uh, uh, skill levels. But uh, it's it was a lot of fun. It was a it was a, a, a whole lot of fun. It's. I would still do it, except that I'm old, and <laughs> I started caring a little bit too much about how I felt at work on Monday. 
<laughs> yeah, and I, I uh, as a reporter for the Daily World, I covered some of the Bearcats games, and they were very entertaining. And it really was, you know, you got some very highly skilled athletes out there playing in these semi-pro games. So it definitely can be fun. You just have to not be too worried about uh, how it affects your body, right? We need to have good health insurance. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, so we're going to move on. We're going to move on to what has become definitely one of my favorite segments, and this is how we're going to end the show. We're going to do the mailbag. And the first question that we have has a picture that goes with it. So I'm going to have to ask if you're listening to the podcast, we will do our best to describe (laughs) what we're talking about. But if you go to either our Facebook or our Twitter page, there is a picture of a bunch of pieces of bread with numbers on one side and letters on the other that, uh, yeah, and on the video, I'll, I'll put it on the video. I was really thinking (laughs) more of just our, our podcast (laughs) listeners. But there's a picture you can look up, and we're going to talk about the uh, the best and most appropriate level that bread should be toasted. And we're talking about sliced bread, not like a hoagie roll or something like that. Um, but you got numbers on the sides, and you got letters on the top, and so it's just a you can go through and, and line up the letter with the number and figure it out. So um, I'm going to go to Sean first. Sean, you tell me what's your ideal toast level. Well, the ideal toast level is somewhere around an E5 or a uh, <laughs> F6, somewhere okay. right in there. But uh, I think anywhere is acceptable on that uh, longitudinal line that, that goes from uh, 8... Is that a longitude or is that... I don't know, the but diagonal, uh, line, diagonal line, yeah. yeah, that goes from <laughs> eight to I. So, so anywhere that's right there, um, not too far though on the uh, uh, lower side of that diagonal. Okay, but uh, yeah, right there, you so, really want a good, nice, you know, golden, a little bit darker than golden brown on a good uh, piece of piece of toast. See, and I think um, what you're describing is a little dark for me. And you know, also, I'd have to say that uh, you know, Zach, the guy who gave me this question, said. He's been asking people all week. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. He's been asking people all week right. and found out that there's a very <laughs> wide range of what people think on toast. Like some people want it burnt, burnt, dark, black. Right. And some people want it like almost just like bread. Like maybe you get a tiny little bit of brown on it, but you want it to be mostly soft. So there are a couple of different variables that you need to consider. One is, I mean, the whole idea of toast is for one purpose and one purpose only, to eat as much butter as you possibly can. (laughs) And so... It's a vessel for butter. It is a vessel for butter. And so it has to be toasted enough that it's solid enough that you can spread butter across the surface and not tear up the bread, but not so dark that all you taste is carbon. I mean, so so those are the, the those are the variables in what you want in good toast, and so but you also you don't want carbon, but you do want that toasty caramelization, what a chef would call Maillard reaction flavor. Okay. So that's what you're Ooh. looking for. And so I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, I my, learned something new. Maillard reaction. That's okay. that's what you're looking for in like uh, the crust of uh, steak. Is I should have known okay. that you were going to come in with like not an opinion, but Here's a fact about how things should be cooked. (laughs) Facts. By the way, and we're going to go back into this bread thing in a second. I need you to settle something for me, okay? Because last week we made a kind of a geographical flub. And then it was pointed out to me by one of our listeners that, hey, you guys are idiots, okay? So 
we were I don't talking think we ever we were talking any to, evidence that we weren't did we no no we didn't. And, and I didn't i didn't argue with it okay but what he said basically is we were talking about baltimore uh-huh and andrew said something about ohio or something and it was like no, oh that's close to what was it we talking about michigan no we were talking about baltimore oh okay. which is and not in ohio so you were not close and i think we i i, I said something about maryland yeah that's where baltimore is right yes so, but we weren't talking about, I don't think we were, we were talking about. We were talking about UMBC, University, University of Baltimore, Maryland County. Oh. And then you made some kind of re, uh, reference to a state that was not anywhere close to it. And then you immediately laughed at yourself. And then I said, <laughs> no, Baltimore is kind of close to New England. <laughs> and then, and I thought, I thought I was right. And then I was talking to a, a listener of the show and he was like, no, you're dumb. You have to go through like three states to get to New England from Baltimore. Sean, you're a geography expert. Okay. I need you to settle this for me. Is it an accurate statement to say that Baltimore, Maryland is close to New England? So I, I, I'm going to preface this with this statement is that on the West Coast, we have a different yep. idea of what a long ways is as opposed to the East Coast. Okay. So is Vancouver close to Portland? We would say it's relatively Vancouver, BC. Yeah. It's relatively in the same region yes. as Portland. I agree. I would get and it's both the Northwest and, and, and something like that. Baltimore is probably, I know it's the southwest part of BC, but but it, yeah, it's the northwest, Pacific Northwest region. I would venture to say that Baltimore is as close to Connecticut as Vancouver, BC is to Portland. And so technically speaking, you are not wrong. But um, but if I went to the East Coast, if and you said went to the that... East Coast and said that, you would be labeled as um, ignorant of the local area. Like, okay. like you do not. If you're in Baltimore, you do not even think about like going up to New England and back in like consecutive days. I mean, it, it just you you wouldn't do that. Oh, is and New England north of Baltimore? Yeah, yeah, See, I yeah. thought it was. <laughs> yeah. I thought so, it was south. So you would be you would be from Baltimore. You would be going through Delaware, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, which actually does not consider themselves part of New England, okay. and then Connecticut. So you'd be going through four states before you get to uh, Connecticut. So this but, is uh, how Justin, well I know Sean. I did not prep him for that, but I a hundred percent knew that he was going to know exactly how to answer I, that. Guilty question. as charged, I am a geek or there's, a nerd. There's a few things. I really like the way you answered that, though, because you're right. The, I I was thinking the exact same thing, where we have just a completely different concept of how some how close things are. There's a few things apart. that I would consider Sean West Coast to be bias. an expert of. Like, I would ask him rather than go Google it. <laughs> and one of those things is geography, flattered. geography and like vacation, like trips about where, you know, what are cool places to go for different things. The other one is weather. I, I'm going to just go out on a limb and say right now that Sean predicts the weather more accurately than any weather person I've ever seen. That's accurate. And <laughs> that is like, that is based on a deep understanding of how weather systems work and how things flow, and how things change. So if I ever want to know what the weather is, like in a, in a situation where it really matters, I'm not pulling up my 10-day forecast. 
If it really matters, I'm going to text Sean and say, hey, what do you think about Friday? <laughs> and actually believe I've done that before. <laughs> I, yeah, you may have. That has uh, nipped me in the butt a couple of times. But, uh, um, but, but yeah, I think that, that I, I do get how the weather systems really affect, especially coastal Washington. I pay a lot okay. of attention to, to, to the coast of Washington. Now back to toast. Back to toast. Okay, so... You you described something that's kind of a golden brown, and the ones that you're looking at, like, basically the golden brown covers the whole piece of toast. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a lot of white left there. Yeah. See, I like mine, like, I want the golden brown crunch, but I like it to still be a little soft on the inside. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking yeah. at more like, I'm looking at E2, and I think, like, E2, E2 or F2, and I'm looking at those and thinking, that's right up my alley. I, I those are acceptable. Those those okay. are definitely acceptable. Yeah, E2 F2 are are good uh conveyors of buttery goodness as well. I also don't yeah. I found that like if let's say for instance my wife is making it's a it's a quick breakfast day and she just cooks a bunch of pieces of toast and then everybody gets some, I will take the most burnt pieces. Because I'm fine with them, but if I try to feed them to the kids, they're going to complain for an hour. (laughs) So I'm okay with toast that's a little bit burnt, but I would much prefer to have it on the slightly undercooked side. Andrew, talk about toast. I want to preface this by saying that you shouldn't be eating sliced bread as toast. That's for sandwiches. Toast English muffins. Uh, I love English muffins. But when you're toasting English muffins, I'm with you, Justin. I think that... Like, what? There's a wide range of acceptable, but it needs to be crunchy and not burned. If there's black bits, it's too toasted. So I think that we are probably all kind of in the majority of wanting it to be kind of normal toast. Yeah. Whereas there are outliers out there. Have you any of you ever known a person who wants toast black black? There's somebody yeah. on the radio. I've got- uh, there was a famous broadcaster who was Daniel Hargrove. No, 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 no. Uh, oh, it might be Collinsworth. Oh, who, Ugh. who was getting, I, I remember it from a few years ago cause his co-host found out or, or either found out or pretended to find out on like during the game and was giving him crap about it. Okay. About wanting toasted. <laughs> about, about ordering toast blackened. Huh? <laughs> I, I, I do have a, a, a good friend who, um, goes to Starbucks every single day and um, orders a He's bagel. He's the reason the Sonics are gone. And no, <laughs> no, and uh, orders his bagel uh, nearly black when he when he orders it. Okay. Yeah, every day. That's wow. a little too much for me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, we have another mailbag question. We actually had three, but we're only going to do two today. I'm going to save the other one for next week's show. But this question comes from uh, Hannah Swallander and, by extension, Carl Swallander. Carl's who came up with the question. Okay. The question is from Carl. It's from yeah. Carl. Okay, Carl wants to know, who is the highest paid baseball player currently and historically, and who do you think it should be? Now, I had to do a little research here, and by a little research, I mean I Googled it and found it in about 10 seconds. Um, the highest paid <laughs> baseball player... In in the history of Major League Baseball is Alex Rodriguez, who was paid four hundred and fifty point two 
million dollars in his baseball career, even towards the end when he wasn't very good, but he just kept playing because he couldn't turn down $30 million a year, and who can blame him? So he's just basically taking up a roster spot to make $30 million a year. And just to give you a little perspective on this, the second highest paid player on this list is Albert Pujols. And he didn't even hit three hundred million. He's two ninety eight point five. Wow. So the gap between a Rod and the next guy is a hundred and fifty plus million dollars. Right, Sean. Do you happen to know who's the highest paid player right now? Right now, it's Mike Trout. He just okay. signed that uh, 10, mil- 10 year four hundred fifty million dollar contract or something. So he so will maybe, eclipse, or maybe Alex it was three hundred and eighty million, something like that. Uh, Mike Trout will e- eclipse uh, uh, Alex Rodriguez by the time his career is done. And the other thing is, is you got to understand, is that baseball contracts are guaranteed no matter what happens. So Mike Trout is getting paid those dollars. It doesn't matter if he, you know, gets hit by a semi truck tomorrow, right. like A Rod, yeah. basically at the end of his career, and and, and he's getting <laughs> that that money. And um, um, yeah, baseball. I mean, if you're a good athlete and, and I mean, world-class athlete and, and you're good at a few things, you should really go into baseball because it's the easiest on your body, it's the longest career, <laughs> and you make the most money. I mean, it, it is absolutely remarkable the amount of money that, that, that baseball players make. Um, yeah, so, so you know, Mike Trout and, uh, um, uh, oh, man, I just uh, drew, drew a blank here. The, the kid for Philadelphia, um, Bryce Harper, yeah. um, also signed a mammoth contract. And uh, um, those guys are getting paid. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so there are some guys that are going to challenge this. Yeah, they're, they're, they're going to challenge. I don't know how many guys are going to get to that 450 million mark. No, you have to, you have to play for a really long time yeah. and, uh, um, be really, really good to command those dollars. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't even know what Barry Bonds made over the course of his career, but, but he made, <laughs> he, he made a lot of money and, uh, Felix Hernandez has made a whole lot of money. Um, uh, Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera, uh, uh, ha- has made a whole lot. Barry Bonds is the 19th highest paid player, $188.2 million. Yeah. And Cabrera is the third highest paid player at $279.9 yeah. million. Um, also, it's notable because we talked about him earlier, Derek Jeter is fourth at $266.2 million over the course of his career. Um, when you get to the other side of that, question which was who should be the highest paid and i know sean i know you have an opinion on this and it's a it's a player that's current um well who should be the highest paid is is mike trout i mean i mean he's he's incredible and 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 historically who should be the highest paid is barry bonds he was so much better than the the competition he just was yeah he 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 should have been the highest paid player in the game and and um um even Barry Bonds was so good and valuable to his team and to the league that when he was chasing the home run record, like, time stood still when he was up to bat. Like, whatever was happening right. on ESPN or to on the radio, they would cut to his bad bat every single time. Yeah. And because in baseball, salary is based on performance, but it's also based on what kind of value you bring to the team. Right. And Barry Bonds was immeasurably valuable to baseball and to the Giants. Where yeah. is Barry Bonds on that list? Barry Bonds... I think it was Didn't I just 18, say that? Something like that. Oh, did you? I did. Oh, hang on, hang on. I'll pull it back up. 
Uh, Barry Bonds was 19th on the list 19th. at 188. Um, but, you know, like you were saying, Sean, we're, you're, because it's changed so much, you're not going to find some of the great players from the 80s and 90s on this list because... No, because the, the, the salaries have... have you know, exploded so much, even with respect to the, the, the rate of inflation. Like I was just looking at this the other day and, uh, 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 Reggie Jackson, uh, like yesterday or the day before was the anniversary of him signing at at that point, which was the, the first or the second richest contract in baseball. And it was a four year, $4.1 million contract, I I believe. So he was like early eighties. Yeah. Early eighties and was making a million dollars a year. Which, like, him and Nolan Ryan were the only folks that were making a million to over a million dollars a year. And that was as, as recent as, like, 1980. Mm-hmm. And even even if you if you adjust that for inflation, they were still making something like four or six million dollars a year. So, so the, the rate of pay has gone up so uh, exponential, uh, uh, exponentially more than, than, than what folks were making, you know, way back when it, it like, like Ted Williams was making an atrocious amount of money at $125,000 a year, yeah. which I mean, that's a probably a, not even in a bat for Mike Trout at this point. <laughs> and if you, if you, if there was no such thing as inflation and let's say you extend it all the way back to the beginning, beginning of baseball, I mean, you'd be looking at if just all things equal, you know, a guy like Babe Ruth would be super valuable, but there wasn't in his time, there wasn't like, you know, big time TV deals. There wasn't other places for the money to come in to come from. But even if you go to modern baseball, I think, you know, you had mentioned Nolan Ryan, that would be one where that guy played for a super long time. He was incredibly valuable. I know he's one of your favorite players of all time. He would be a guy I would nominate on this list for me. And this is at least partially sentimental I go back to a guy like Cal Ripken Jr. Yeah. Because Cal Ripken Jr., I mean, obviously he played every day. He played for a super long time. Yeah. He won a couple of MVPs. Right. He won a World Series as the best player on the team. You know, Cal Ripken Jr. was incredibly valuable to his team over a super extended period of time. I would imagine if he... Now, the game has changed, so I don't know how he would have adapted to that. But let's say the game is the same and you transport him into now... Yeah, he would be a guy who I think would be making immeasurable amounts of money. Yeah, it, because of longevity and incredible. because of how good he was. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Funny, I, I have a Cal Ripken story when I used to collect autographs when I was in uh, like junior high, and um, I saw Cal Ripken signing autograph. I never actually got Cal Ripken's autograph. He like started like right here once and moved that way, but oh, no. <laughs> I saw him like he signed literally. So many. He, he signed so many autographs, and he was very deliberate and thoughtful about every single one. But he, he started in the in like two different people. He he got this glossy eight by ten of of him, and he started to sign it. And the flow of ink hadn't started yet, so he pulled up his sleeve, and he just started writing on his arm until he got the sharpie to start flowing oh my ink. Goodness. And then after the flow was nice and consistent, then he signed the autograph. And then handed it over. And the other time I saw him is is he he was he signed a, a card, 
and it was a very glossy card, and so the 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 autograph would have smudged. And he sat and blowed on it until it was it, where he thought it was acceptably dry to hand back to the fan, and 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 did that at two different people. I mean, he was so thoughtful about the way that he treated fans, which is really really quite remarkable. It is really remarkable, and I remember to me this was like when he was, when Ripken was on his farewell tour, and I remember just how what a big deal they made about how he yeah. would spend an hour before games yeah. every single and game after. and after and just after just going games. all up and down yeah. the line so that everybody who wanted an autograph could get yeah. an autograph and i think it's a thing that we're kind of missing and losing in the game today because yeah. i can even tell you this this is from a, a few this is a story from a few years ago and i'm sure that i've told it before but i will always have a soft spot in my heart for robinson cano no mm-hmm. matter what happens because I took my son, I think it was his ninth birthday, 10th birthday maybe. I took my my older son to a Mariners game for his birthday. And the only thing he wanted, he knew all the players. He was really into Mariners baseball. He wanted to go early, as early as we possibly could, (laughs) try to get as close as he could to the players and see if he could talk to any of them and get an autograph. We went, we were there, maybe like the third or fourth people in line, the moment the gates opened, we got in. We went straight down to that little spot by the dugout. We were the first ones there. We stood there for hours, watched players walk back and forth. We yelled to him. We waved at him. We said, hey, you're great. He was doing a great job. He's yelling at Brad Miller in the dugout saying, hey, Brad. Hey, Brad. How's it going? We couldn't even get <laughs> players to acknowledge that we yeah. were there. And when it got really close to time to go up to our seats, I was starting to panic. Like, oh my gosh, this is all he wanted. We came here hours early. He's going to be devastated. Yeah. And then at the last moment, Robinson Cano walked by and saw that by the time he walked by, there was a group of maybe like 20 or so kids there. And he kind of like looked around and realized, man, these kids haven't had anybody come over to him. And he came over and spent as much time as he possibly could before he got called away to sign autographs, and That's both great. of my kids have a Robinson Cano, both of my boys have a Robinson Cano signed baseball at our house because of that. That's and awesome. in addition to that, I tweeted at him because I was so grateful. I tweeted him a picture and said, hey, you really saved my son's birthday. You know, this was really amazing. Thank you so much for doing that. And he replied to me. That's awesome. To say thank you for coming. Thank you for coming to the game. This was really cool. So, like, to me... Especially you want family, you want baseball to be a family event. You want people to bring their kids. You, you want to be able to get to a point where you can have some kind of interaction with the players. Right. And I, it means so much to me to see guys who do things like that. Oh, totally agree. I, I, I still am a Robinson Cano fan. So, yeah, I have a Cano jersey. It's the only jersey I've got. Or the only Mariners jersey I've got. <laughs> that's cool. But. Well, fellas... We've rambled on quite a bit here. I think we're going to put a pin in it. This All has right. been a very long, very, very fun show with lots of baseball. Um, thank you one more time to Oli Penn Real Estate for sponsoring our Athlete of the Week. I'd like to Thanks, remind Jason you. Jason Atwood. Thank you, Jason Atwood. <laughs> I'd like to remind everyone of a few things. One is if you have questions you want for the mailbag, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at The Scrimmage, or you can email us the twi- uh, the scrimmage at gmail.com and we will try to get to every mailbag question we possibly can also if you want to nominate someone to be the only pen real estate athlete of the week we accept nominations for that as well you can get just get a hold of us all those different ways um but for now 
For Justin, the Fairweather Mariners fan, Domashevitz. And for our guest co-host, Sean, toast is a vessel for butter, O'Neill. <laughs> and for our producer, Andrew, the zoo, gross. And I wrote, I put that at the beginning of the show, and I thought it was funny at the time because we made a couple mistakes, and I said it was a zoo. Now I feel like it's not as You're funny. You're a jerk. Show. Yeah, I'm kind of rude. Anyway, uh, absentee co-host Daniel Hargrove, whose voice was in the show a little bit as well. We're going to put a pin in this episode, fellas. You have been listening to The Scrimmage. Thanks so much for having me.